Welcome to episode 196 of the Grip Strip Podcast, the Thanksgiving Tithings edition of the Grip Strip Podcast. My name is Philip Matthew. I'm your host. And as always, I'm with my co host, the iRacing Indy 500 champion, the computer genius, a gentleman, a scholar, and in a much better mood this week since his Jacksonville Jaguars put a whooping on uh, another team. His name is Joshua Fine. What's going on, brother? I'm doing great, Phil. Great to be back here on this uh, Victory Monday, as you mentioned, with the Jaguars winning uh, yesterday uh, at home. So good to have that. Um, and you know, glad to be back on the show in the week. Of course, thankful for a lot of things. And of course, uh, uh, glad to have our buddy Joe Passero back here on the show. Yeah, we're talking about the NASCAR Cup Series 2023 season. So I figured who else better to bring on than our our roving reporter, our general correspondent, our our friend uh, who's roamed the East Coast is in Florida for now, uh, journalist, uh, media, um, clean worker compared to me. Uh, his I, I, There's a lot of uh, words, but the reality is a very knowledgeable guy about this sport who, who cares about this sport, and uh, for that brings great takes and brings a perspective that we need in general. Uh, his name is Joe Pacero. What's going on, man? Uh, everything's been pretty all right. I'm glad to be back. This is, uh, I feel like we've been trying to get at this for a few weeks. I got sick. I was supposed to be on the show a few weeks ago and I started coughing up a lung. So, uh, I'm glad to be back. I'm glad, you know, it was a, a very interesting season and I think there's a lot to, talk about because after you know seeing everything that the next gen had to offer in 2022 uh this was not quite the way i expected 2023 to shape up and shape out uh so i'm excited to talk about it i'm excited to talk about everything there's uh, a lot to get to not just you know ryan blaney winning the championship the probably elephant uh of it all but you got uh kevin harvick retiring and uh a plenty plenty more absolutely uh we're gonna talk about uh, the Cup Series champion, Ryan Blaney, uh, the fact that Hendrick and Gibbs will get into their domination prior to Ryan Blaney's uh, heater, uh, the playoff format and the viability of it, having a one-race winner-take-all at one of the crappiest racetracks on the circuit um, just because they have a cactus flag stand, um, talking about Kevin Harvick and being the end of an era. Um get into that disappointment surprises from 2023 issues with the the gen 7 car tire lack of horsepower just have to listen to the djd to know what um uh redneck jesus says and um he the fact they don't listen to him is crazy to me but um both and literally the interview that dale jr and kevin harvick did uh that that whole podcast should tell you all you need to know about why or what needs to be done. Uh, talk about William Byron, Martin Truex, and uh, Dennis Hamlin, along with the three other uh, the other two guys that made the final four. Uh, we'll talk about the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Uh, prior to that, we'll talk about NFL Week 11 after. We'll get into the South Carolina 400 late model race where uh, Dale Jr., Josh Berry and a cast of thousands in the late model realm uh, drove this past weekend. 
We'll uh, get in the roundup along with MotoGP Moto2 uh, with their championship getting to the end of this coming weekend. WRC ending their season last weekend. Supercars at Adelaide to finish their 2023 campaign. And the final race for Shane Van Gisbergen in Supercars uh, prior to moving to the United States. We'll talk about the F2 season finale um, talk and also Leah Block, one of the probably most talented female drivers uh, there is right now. Uh, the daughter of, of the late Ken Block being signed to the Williams uh, driver development and to be in uh, driving in F1 Academy, uh, Cadillac registering as an engine manufacturer for Formula One. We'll get into what we're thankful for uh, this motorsports year and uh, preview uh, Abu Dhabi, where uh, Fish Lips will win, and um, who will finish behind him. Uh, Josh will talk about all things uh, iRacing and gaming in his sim segment, and we'll close the deal. So yeah, let's get to this. The Vegas Grand Prix, uh, the qualifying was compelling. Ferrari had uh, the pace during the weekend early early on i mean carlos Sainz destroyed his chassis over a over a sewer grade or whatever uh esteban ocon also did so that ended fp1 they ran fp2 i think at four o'clock in the morning uh eastern standard time or something like that four or five o'clock uh in the morning so if you were out at night roaming the streets which my friend uh one of my friends who's retired over to las vegas was doing because he had v his daughter had vip access to mclaren's uh, vip so he just decided to roam around the whole circuit and he was just taking videos so he got a cool he got cool spots uh, Ferrari definitely was uh, had pace the whole entire weekend. Williams also, with Logan Sargent, put together one of his best weekends up till the race itself. Um, Charles Leclerc was on the pole. Carlos Sainz fell just short of a uh, uh, pole. So, and so they, you would have thought that Ferrari could have gone off and won this race. Well, Fishlips was right there. Carlos Sainz ended up having to take a 10 spot penalty which is ridiculous uh so fish lips ended up essentially moving up to second uh etc etc mercedes uh george russell was okay lewis hamilton did not have a easy weekend at all uh, yeah varying uh results uh mclaren definitely had a bad one for the first time in a while but in the race itself charles leclerc got beat on the start by Verstappen. Verstappen cleared himself by just running uh, Charles Leclerc into the grass or whatever, running him into the runoff area. And then it took him 30 laps or something, 20 laps for them to make a penalty. And by that point, the penalty they gave him was a five second penalty, which is absolute bullshit. But then it's it's FIA for Red Bull. So anything that Max Verstappen does, he could literally murder somebody and they'd say, oh no, that's a five second penalty. Um, but if Lewis Hamilton did it, it he'd probably be arrested right on the spot. So you talk about the hypocrisy of Formula One. Um, Leclerc was up front. He had a he probably had the fastest car. Sands were stopping. Sergio Perez led in this race and actually made an overtake on the Las Vegas Strip back straight away. It was 
uh, a compelling race, but in the end, we know what happened. Uh, Fishlips, the winner over Leclerc and Perez. Uh, Esteban Ocon finished fourth, his best finish of the year. Stroll, uh, somehow, I mean, for fuck's sake, it has to be Las Vegas that Lance Stroll got a top five. Signs from 12th finished sixth. Lewis Hamilton and George Russell had contact and issues with other people and uh, salvaged uh, seventh and eighth. I mean, you look at the from from Stroll on to uh, what is it? It was 10 seconds from uh, from Stroll to Oscar Piastri. I mean, you talk about or yeah, 11 seconds between Ocon all the way to Piastri from fourth to 10. So there was a compelling battle. And then the the two guys that finished behind Verstappen were only two seconds behind him. So it's better than virtually any, most of the Grand Prix this year. Um, Piastri salvaged what was a bad weekend for McLaren. Uh, Williams did nothing in the race. It was a disaster for them. Logan Sargent uh, and uh, Alexander Albon fell, dropped like a, like a rock. Um, the Haases were god-awful. Um, Lando Norris crashed on the second lap of the race. I think Hulkenberg and Sonoda in back-to-back laps had mechanical issues. Um, those were the three retirements. But, I mean, I guess, uh, Josh, we can go on talk about it this way. What what were your feelings about the weekend itself, what the racetrack provided? Um, we know what the result was going to be, but to be fair compared to most of the first 22 races of the season, it was actually interesting. Um, There was actually compelling action up until like a few laps to go, which has literally not been the case most of the year. Yeah, I mean, the race itself was actually pretty good. Um, Yeah, I mean, I think I have to kind of agree with Verstappen's comments about pre-race and um, how there was a lot of spectacle and it was more of a show and you know, not so much the sporting aspect. Um, but you know, I think also some of those comments are probably just kind of tied up into kind of the frustration that people felt, uh, from the first practice and the second practice being, uh, delayed there. So, um, I do kind of agree on that aspect. Um, but at the same time, you know, when it came to race day, it was actually interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things why it made it interesting and Verstappen actually pointed this out is that they didn't have a sprint race. And, um, so you weren't really able to tell who was good on tires, what, um, what tire conditions were going to be like for, um, these drivers, um, racing on a new circuit, you know, compared to what we've seen, uh, you know, in the past with, especially with, uh, sprint races kind of showing their hand during the sprint race. You didn't have that here. And so that kind of made it a little bit more compelling in terms of, decisions on when to, you know, switch to a different compound, which, you know, go onto the hard tires or, you know, or stay longer on, you know, soft tires. So, yeah, that made it interesting. Of course, uh, Verstappen, you know, went way wide on the start, um, should have been at least to, uh, give up the position there. But, you know, I think he made that move knowing that they were going to give him a slap on the wrist for that. Uh, so, you know, he didn't really have to take any, penalty from that of course um but still even with that you know they had a issue on their uh pit stop and um and he fell back all the way back to 10th while uh, leclerc uh held the lead for 13 laps and you know he still had to work his way back up there so um you know it, it would be 
it'd be more BS, I guess, like if he had led the whole way and kept uh, leading without the penalty or, you know, with the bad penalty, but, you know, at least um, he had to come back and earn the race uh, from, you know, passing both Leclerc and uh, Perez there. So at the very least, uh, you know, earn, you know, earn that one. And yeah, there's a lot of compelling racing. You saw overtaking on the Las Vegas strip using the back, uh, the draft there as a means of passing. So, you know, that's pretty entertaining to watch. So um, yeah, I think, you know, the race itself, you know, pretty entertaining from start to finish, um, you know, especially the first yellow causing some of these drivers to go on to uh, the uh, harder compound. That's, you know, what enabled Sergio Perez and Carlos Sainz to go there and take uh, hard tires and then work their way slowly up through the field. And then they got another uh, caution or yellow period that allowed them to go and get a, another pit stop for free along with uh, Verstappen. And then I think, you know, Leclerc, that was kind of a missed opportunity there to get on better tires. Um, he was on six lap older tires than the rest of the field. And I think that definitely played a factor in him uh, not being able to hold, hold the lead. Although, you know, made a monster move there at the end using the draft on uh, Sergio Perez and on the Las Vegas strip. So um, yeah, I mean, this, race was actually kind of good compared to what we've seen uh so far this year and almost all this year in formula one i mean um yeah verstappen won his 18th race in a row but honestly like i don't really care about that to be honest i mean at least you know even if it was the same guy in the end winning you know at least um it was a, a little bit more interesting than um you know what we've seen uh lately here in formula one and yeah, and you can consider the fact that ferrari figured out a way to leave uh Charles Leclerc out as probably a, a reason why uh, he wasn't able to hold off uh, Verstappen uh, minus Verstappen's questionable driving tactics. Um, but I mean, it's Ferrari. What he? It's just you. You know they're going to do that. Sergio Perez's situation was he had way too much downforce on his car, so he was a sitting duck on a mile and a half straightaway. Um, so that was the reason why he couldn't hold Leclerc off but essentially from the Las Vegas strip straight away up until turn uh one there's only like what that one Mickey Mouse chicane and then it's essentially a straight now I think I think instead of having a Mickey Mouse chicane they could have probably made it like an actual 90 degree corner uh and and that might have might have made it a little bit uh, more of a uh, a little better of a passing zone uh, because you'll be able to go and take the braking, uh, maybe take the braking a little deeper. Uh, the section once they get past turn one, where they bought that that five hundred million dollar portion of the circuit, where they basically have their um, complex, the first few corners. Once you get out of there, it's all in the streets and con- all the construction and crap. Yeah, it's part of the circuit's okay. Um, nothing of great significance. It's not as bad as Miami, but, you know, take it or leave it. Uh, I didn't, I think for all the stuff that happened in practice in FP1, that it went sideways and now there's a class action lawsuit because of all the fans that paid for tickets and all that. Uh, that's pretty funny. Um, not for them, but it's funny that, um, Liberty's gonna have to deal with it, but, um, 
other than that, to be fair, it wasn't bad. I mean, considering what this season has been, considering what Formula One has basically been since Abu Dhabi 2021, I I, I got to say, I really didn't have that much to, to be mad about. And that's something to be said. Um, people are going to hate it because it doesn't fit Formula One. Fishlips is going to hate it because his whole entire life is racing and going and stealing other people's lives. Um, but, you know, like, uh, that's that's fine. I mean, it doesn't fit your narrative. Nobody really, it's like, who gives a fuck? You get paid $55 million. I really don't give a shit. And you have the best car and nobody can beat you. And you're allowed to do whatever the hell you want. So go suck a dick. Like, really, I, I don't care what your opinion is. Um, and, uh, and his fans, I really don't care about his psychotic inbred fans either. So they can go and all knock each other off. It'd be great. This society, like he needs to go and have like a massive shunt and then maybe he might actually become humble, but I don't think that would even humble him. Like that's what makes it so like, there was people that are so unlikable uh, for me. Like we've got NASCAR talking about cup. Like I did not like Kyle Busch. I couldn't stand Kurt Busch. They're just people I just couldn't stand. Oh, Kyle Busch basically tried to eat it in an Xfinity crash, and then all of a sudden he started to have a conscience. I, I mean, it, it, essentially that's what happened. Um, that, and he got caught cheating on Samantha or whatever, but that, that's a whole other, or whatever, that, or I think there was something going on there, to be fair. You look at the stuff that was going on. I'm just, it's here, if it's hearsay, fine, it's my show, so I don't I mean, it's our show. Yeah, I'm not going to disagree, but I, that's, yeah, yeah that's wild. It, I mean, Danny also took fingers up his butt. So that's, and he's a car owner in the sport. So um, that's a whole other thing. But uh, yeah, and Danny is also unlikable. But, you know, like there's a lot of guys that are unlikable, but things had to happen for them to finally figure it out. I don't think it's ever going to happen for Verstappen because he's coddled and protected. And that's a problem for Formula One in terms of popularity. When you talk about the fact that the American driver on the circuit, nobody... There's no real promotion of him. He's not a bad guy. So why would you promote him? But then I say that every day, every time we talk about IndyCar racing. So he wouldn't be any different if he was there. Um, Logan had a chance this weekend, but during on race day, it just went to hell for Williams. I don't know why or how, but it should have been a points, points day for both Williams drivers, but didn't come off. Um, and Fishlips will win another race, and he'll be either overtake uh, Sebastian Vettel uh, in terms of wins, I think, with that, or somewhere around that. So he'll be second all-time in victories after he's won 900 races in the last two years. So now he's going to be chasing Lewis. So that's the only person he can pass. Maybe Lewis can actually have the Mercedes can actually make a good car for the first time in four years and um, get people that know how to pit a car. And then maybe you can stop this nonsense. All right, let's move on to more positive uh, topics here. Um, in terms of, yeah, I mean, yeah. So we'll talk about uh, Ryan Blaney and uh, his championship. Fact is, in, in the way that this format has become, you need to really get hot in a round of eight. You need to put yourself in a position to um, capitalize. He had... He had put himself in a position over the season. He won the 600, but he was up front a lot. 
inconsistencies, of course, kind of was there, but you look at Ford in general, they were not the prime manufacturer. They were by far the worst of the three. You had Hendrick and Gibbs dominating, which is, you know, par for the course. But as per recent trends, Penske was preparing for the playoffs. It didn't work out for Joey Logano, but for Blaney, it was a different story. He had kind of was angling. He was one of the only Ford guys that kind of had a pulse uh, through the year. Christopher Busher, when he went on his summer run, um, had a pulse. Uh, those were, re- and Harvick, you know, basically being the, because of being Harvick, those were the three guys that stood out. But in the playoffs itself, Busher fell off. Harvick, unfortunately, didn't have, uh, didn't have enough pace to last, but Blaney did. And uh, he stood up to the all these Toyotas and Chevys. And even though Hendrick had a representation from two of two of the four guys in the final four were represented by Hendrick, and then you Gibbs had one, and it was a Martin Truex, which we'll talk about later. Um, Ryan Blaney faded it and was able to put a great they put a great car together and they won the championship. He won two of the he won the last two races of the season, which you got to give him credit. A guy who has not, he hasn't, I don't think, or he's only had one multiple win season, I think, in his entire cup career. I might be wrong. Maybe that's changed, but uh, this is, uh oh. Yeah. So, All right, um, I was myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, this was his second to 2020. Yeah. He had three wins this year, I believe, was also three. He got yeah. Martin the 600 and Talladega. Talladega. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's right. He didn't win Phoenix. My fault. That was Ross Chastain. Uh, lest we oh, forget. Yeah. That. We, we forgot it. Yeah. Cause NBC yeah. didn't even yeah. care. Yeah. I mean, and I speak of that, I actually got the racing, whatever. I got the hail melon car. I saw it at Walmart. So I had to get it. So they made 164 Ross. of those yeah. and you can buy them. Oh, that's, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. They're, I gotta go I, to Walmart now. I I bought the actual one that the the um, Lionel makes, but then this was they had it there there and they sold a hail melon car. I'm like, oh crap! Uh, so I had to get it. Um, but I'll put it to the floor. Um, I mean, for me uh, as a Blaney guy, I was very happy to see it. He's the most popular driver in the sport. He's one of the only people that has a personality. Um, He's a guy that Penske, you know, people are going to say eventually, kind of like Joseph Newgarden, when was he going to win an Indy car or win the Indy 500? He finally did. When was Ryan Blaney going to take that next step and become a champion so that he could basically be a, you know, side by side with Joey, knowing that Logano has been in the sport for a long time and is the veteran guy on that team? two-time series champion so he's never really going anywhere shell penzoil is never going anywhere so that's stable and whatever they needed to have that second guy blaney had to do something this was a year that i think it was kind of a make or break in a sense i don't think they were ever going to get rid of him but the reality of having a crew chief and jonathan hassler who wasn't afraid to take risks and also had a strategy this season about how to handle um, the uh, the situation that they had, which the Ford was not good, but they somehow or another gave themselves a chance when it counted 
to go and make something happen. Uh, I'll go to you first, Joe, and then Josh, um, talking about Blaney and the the viability of him as a champion and what it what your thoughts of his season and what it means i think in the longer term for the nascar cup series sure yeah i think you know ryan blaney is a champion obviously you know and, and i think this probably get to something we get later on about the validity of the championships of this format itself but you know if you win the championship you win the championship uh, whether or not people like that or necessarily agree or disagree uh, is irrelevant because in the history books, you're the champion. Um, He won it. He won it by the rules. That's how you do it. So I'm not really concerned uh, about the validity of his title, um, especially given his playoff run. He did absolutely. He and and Hassler and the whole number 12 uh, Team Penske Ford team did absolutely everything they had to do just right to make it to the final four and then you know they they kicked ass in the second half of the race uh you know looked for the first half that maybe it was going to be byron um but they they turned it up they found out how to the dial in the car and they they made a roll so um you know as far as the validity goes i'm not too concerned and as far as the the effect i i think it's a good thing i think it's a good thing that a young driver with a you know, I don't really hear about people hating like, you know, Chase Elliott. Um, you know, people have in the past few years really gone either, you know, you kind of really like him or you really hate him. Kyle Bush, Denny Hamlin are drivers that there really aren't a lot of people that like. Um, even Kevin Harvick, you know, of the past few years, I feel like people, you know, up until whatever, 2019, 2020, were kind of getting sick of his dominance. Very similar to the way I felt um people had of of Johnson right you just get sick of the same person winning over and over and over again Ryan Blaney it's interesting because he's not one of those people he as you mentioned this is only his second uh multi-win season of his career still a relatively young career but nonetheless only the second one um for him to put forth that effort to be very liked by the fans very well liked uh, probably the most well liked of the drivers not necessarily i wouldn't go as far to say it's the most popular i leave that to nmpa and their award to do but um for him to probably be one of the more or most positive figures seen from outside the sport i think it's good that he won i think it's good that someone young and positive won because that's gonna keep people in for a longer period of time he's got a long career ahead of him right that's the benefit of winning the championship when you're young is you have a lot of time for you, for yourself to to go out and win another one. And you know that. But for the fans, for the fan base itself, for the sport, it's also good because they know we can promote this guy for many, many years and hold him high. And he, he's going to be around for us. Um, so quite honestly, for NASCAR, it, it's a win that he won the championship. Um, they really, I mean, with this particular championship for they really could have won with any of the four winning the championship, right? Because I think they said this is the youngest Final Four of the of the entire since we've gotten to this uh, elimination grid format in 2014. This is the youngest average age for the Final Four. Uh, Larson being the only one who could have repeated, um, which once again, this championship format proves it's 
not uh, not quite designed to have a repeat champion. Um, you know, I think it's it's good all around. He he did. He had a really strong start to the season. Um, and you know, I feel like after that 600 win, he kind of faded. You faded that real that second half of the regular season. Uh, I don't remember hearing his name a lot, saying his name a lot, particularly thinking he was a threat. And I think I only had him going into, I don't know, my prediction somewhere. I think I may have had him uh, eliminated after the second round, the round of 12, potentially the round of eight eliminated, but I didn't have him. He was not someone I had on my radar to go to the final four, but uh, they put together, like I said, the exact type of playoffs that you need to put together in order to move forward and to win the championship, Um, which... My feelings about the playoff format are different than my feelings about Blaney, so I'll get back into that uh, a little bit later. All yeah, I mean, points. Well, yeah, good, good. Gonna go and throw to you, but you're you're ready to go. <laughs> I was, yeah, step ahead there, I guess. But no, I mean, I agree there. You know, with Blaney, you know, he's likable guy. Um, I don't think, yeah, there's not really a lot of fans that have any, you know, set of dislike uh, from him. Um, you know, he's got appearances on tv you know he had a couple of guest appearances on some shows and stuff so you know he's he's got kind of like the all the makings of a driver you know that could be uh very popular and that can could transcend you know if they can figure out how to you know market him uh correctly i guess that you know could potentially kind of be somewhat in mainstream culture known uh in in mainstream culture but um I mean, for what they were able to do, you know, this year, um, you know, before the playoffs, it was, yeah, it was hard for me to picture uh, Blaney coming out and winning or making it past uh, probably the round of the round of 12. Um, Just Penske all year didn't really have that speed. Um, And outside of the 600, you know, they just didn't really have anything uh, there. But, you know, they they won the races when it mattered. You know, they they won Talladega and then. Um, they probably should have won Homestead and locked up the spot there, but you know Chris Bell won that one. Uh, but you know he came out and won Martinsville, and then um, you know they started out at Phoenix. They didn't have a great car to start out with, but they worked on it throughout uh, the race. And then you know, it was just a battle of uh, being the first driver out of the championship four. You know, had had to battle Ross Chastain there uh, f- for the win. And then eventually, you know, he kind of let him go uh, and let him win the race. And then he won the championship. So, um, yeah, it was uh, somebody that rose to the occasion, I guess, in in this format. And, you know, we can talk about the you know validity of this format uh, and everything. But at least, um, you know, he he won in the paradigm of of the rules and you know, how it's supposed to work. So, uh, yeah, I mean, he he did what he had to do and. Um, I think, you know, any of the other drivers, I, I think they could have won. Um, so, it you know, he wasn't a, a fluky driver, really. Um, you know, it w- was not like, you know, Ricky Stenhouse going out and winning the championship. I mean, obviously, you have to make it there, but um, it not fluky like that or anything. Um, you know, Daniel Hemrick in the Xfinity Series, you know, his only career win turned out to be the Xfinity Series title. And, you know, you can make an argument there that maybe he's a guy that's not uh, as deserving of, of the title as maybe some of the other Xfinity drivers. But, you know, I mean, you can argue, make those arguments there. Um, and, 
you know, in some of the lower divisions, of course, um, whether, or they're not like in truck series or in Xfinity, if the drivers that have won championships in this format, if, you know, they were the most, uh, deserving, but, you know, for who the drivers were in this field in the cup series, and I think this year, um, you know, wasn't, wasn't a, um, one that you could argue against really, um, you know, Kyle Larson, you know, he won a couple of races, you know, during the year, you know, he locked his way in at Las Vegas, so, I mean, on speed, he had, in the beginning of the year, he Kyle Larson had a lot of speed, uh, but they had bad luck or he made mistakes, and then they had a didn't have a really good summer, and then um, they were okay in, for most part of the chase, and then, you know, they made their way in in the, uh, you know, round of, round of eight to get into the final four. So, um, you know, he's probably the one that could have been questionable, and the other guys, Chris Bell and uh, Byron, I think, had more leverage i guess as far as who was you know the most deserving of of a championship but you know it was really hard to argue against any of them so yeah i think you know blaney now now he has to go and back this title up which is going to be hard because ford uh they're gonna have to make a lot of new gains uh here this offseason they're switching over to the dark horse uh for their uh, make of the Mustang uh, in 2024. So it's going to be interesting to see how that car uh, lines up against uh, Chevy and Toyota and, you know, if it brings them improvements uh, where they need it uh, to be able to challenge uh, more on a consistent basis for, you know, for both Team Penske and, I, you know, now with uh, RFK coming into being more of a contender now. So I think those two guys or teams are going to lead the way for Ford. Uh, throughout the year and next year, and we'll see if they can challenge Penske and or challenge uh, Gibbs and Hendrick uh, on a week-to-week basis more consistently. Yeah, I, I, with Blaney being able to get the heater when it counted, that's what the format asks for. So in that sense, he did what he had to do. It, you, you can talk in... Uh, hypotheticals of you know 36 race championship or this that the winston cup format or other uh chase formats or but this is what it is like you guys said and he did the job and he has been working towards this for his whole you know career and to go and do it with his whole family there and to kind of meet the potential uh that has always been there uh brad keselowski saw it a long time ago uh, a decade ago and um it proves once again like the two the two best talent evaluators i think in in nascar were, are dale earnhardt jr and brad keselowski i mean i guess kyle bush to an extent too but that was almost by proxy because he was running the toyota truck program uh forever so uh there those are really the three evaluators that you look at their their driver lineups over time who ended up uh who's ended up with championship drivers and success so um the the for blaney i i think the pressure definitely is there's a multifaceted way handling being the champion uh managing the fact that ford is going to a new body i think the new body style um which is essentially the front and rear clip um will it race better on uh, everything outside of the short tracks or whatever that's where the ford team seem to be at their best and super speedways um 
other tracks, which is the majority of the schedule, uh, struggled at the that'll be a question similar to supercars, uh, where the Fords have been absolutely nowhere for virtually the entire year. They weren't even allowed to make a change before the biggest race of the year. Uh, so that was, and they haven't had competitiveness and there's supposed to be a balance of performance in that series. Um, so we'll see what happens with the dark horse Mustang. Um, well, I, I think the next thing is we'll get into the other three drivers that made the final four. Kyle Larson trying to get his second title busy with, um, running the high limit series with his brother-in-law, Brad Sweet, who's now a five-time uh, defending World of Outlaws champion, but isn't going to defend his championship. So he's busy trying to be the savior of, of dirt sprint car racing. Um, but when he isn't doing that, he's still competitive. Uh, you look at Christopher Bell, who, looking at Gibbs racing over the season, Martin Truex won the regular season title. Denny Hamlin was a factor for most of the season. But when it counted and when you had to be clutch, it was Christopher Bell for a second year in a row with Adam Stevens clutching up in the playoffs with that big win at Homestead and putting himself in position to uh, get to the Final Four for a second year in a row. Um, Adam Stevens trying to prove that it wasn't just about him and Kyle Busch. He can win with somebody else. Um, and then William Byron, which... I mean, I'll I'll throw to you, Josh, first with William Byron, and then you can kind of talk about uh, all three drivers however you want to. Um, Byron, I think, is the one person that definitely will feel a certain way, probably feel aggrieved, and like I had my career year. Hendrick was one of the two dominant teams. He won more races than anybody. Uh, the potential for all these years, being a guy, being a... a a sim guy like yourself and having to utilize that, of course, then, you know, he has all that money uh, with his dad and, and stuff, but he wasn't initially racing in go-karts and he didn't have it initially. He had to use the iRacing and other platforms to, to start his career. And he finally, after however many years in the cup series with, and also with Rudy Fugel, who he's had the most success with, put it together. But when it came down to it at Phoenix, at a track which he has won at before, he wasn't able to um, get the job done in the second half of that race. Uh, and I think if 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 there's one person that really is going to be like, what if it was um, William Byron after this season? I mean, for William Byron, uh, the last race at Phoenix was almost kind of a mirror of uh, the first race here at the beginning in the year at uh, March at Phoenix, where um, that race, he kind of dominated the first portion of the race, and then Kyle Larson took over uh, from him. But then they had a late caution, and then he was able to get back onto uh, the lead and win that race. But then uh, here, kind of the same deal led uh, the initial portion uh, of this race uh, in the championship. But then, you know, after stage, the middle of stage two, they kind of faded back and uh, they weren't able to um, get back up there to pass uh, Ryan Blaney at the end. Um, so I think, you know, from that end, yeah, he, um, Definitely missed an opportunity there to uh, win the title. Um, he was still in it, you know, all the way until the end. But you know, when um, 
William Byron and uh, Kyle Larson and uh, Ryan Blaney all all kind of there in the same uh, vicinity. You know, and he wasn't able to make that uh, move up there. He just didn't have the handling uh, late in the race uh, compared to uh, what Ryan Ryan Blaney was able to do there. So um, from that aspect, yeah, uh, you know, very disappointing for him to um, come close to you know have have that opportunity not win the title but if we go back to the old format of course William Byron you know had the most successful season in terms of wins uh top 10s and top 5s uh had the most polls this year so uh you know he was definitely somebody that uh should have won it you know on, on any other format and even the old format before the elimination playoffs and all this stuff uh you know you could make an argument that he might have won in that format as well so um yeah, I mean, is he, you know, deserving of it or could he have been deserving? Yes, but at the end of the day, you know, they just weren't able to uh close and win uh the race that mattered. So, um, you know, he had had the pace throughout the year. You know, um somehow Denny Hamlin was able to have the foresight to say that uh he was gonna be one of the drivers that had a good year along with Dale Jr. saying that Blaney would win the championship. So somehow those guys were able to figure it out and tell tell you who was gonna be good throughout the year and who would win the title. So uh you know, that's interesting there. But um, you know, it comes up short, so we'll have to see how he responds next year for uh, you know, Hendrick. I'm sure they'll go back and figure out how to you know, be better at Phoenix so that, you know, that when, when they get there, uh, they'll have a chance and, um, you know, to be able to compete and not just, uh, kind of struggle in the second half of that race. But, you know, Larson, of course, kind of brought him up as well, but, um, you know, he, he had a chance there late in the going, uh, to be able to get around Ryan Blaney, but, uh, just wasn't able to make the pass, uh, against him and, you know, ended up falling back. Uh, so, I mean, he probably didn't have the best race in the championship, uh, finale, but you know, he uh, kind of like in 2021, his pit crew kind of got him out in a position where he was able to, uh, you know, drive and be able to fight Ryan Blaney or yeah, Ryan Blaney there at the end. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, it ended up being Ryan Blaney. And of course, uh, I think, you know, the one guy that never even had a chance in this one, Chris Bell got eliminated very early on in the going, uh, uh, you know, he was, he was a guy throughout the year that I think, kind of, you know, had had streaks where he was really good, but then also had times where he wasn't quite as, as good. But, you know, he was at least somewhat more consistent. You know, he had uh, the most polls in the series and um, had 19 top 10s, 10 top 5s, and one Bristol Dirt, and then one later on uh, in the year with uh, Homestead. So, um, you know, he's another guy that, could have could have had an opportunity, but you know we never really got to find out what kind of car he had capable of, uh, you know, with the brake issues that he had uh, that led to his early exit. Which in this format, you know, it's kind of rare to see a driver fall out so early in the race. But um, you know, from there on, ended up being uh, a three three man race for the title. So I think you know he's one guy that you know could could he have made made a move at the end to possibly be there possible uh denny hamlin was up there at the end uh, of that race on the final restart uh or what ended up being the final restart so there's always that possibility that um if they had survived all the way in could have had a chance but um you know like i said earlier you know it's hard to argue against any of these guys winning or having 
had the ability to win the titles. So, uh, you know, we'll just have to see next year uh, in this format if, um, you know, one of those guys or even any of those guys have a, a year that, you know, can uh, show that they can get back to this position and have another shot at winning the title. Yeah, I mean, that's all good points in terms of uh, Byron and the guys that were in the championship for, uh, and I and it speaks to one just the season itself and the fact that those two teams were the dominant two teams in the series. Which let's be honest, going back, I don't know how many decades now it's been a thing where um, at least a decade and a half it's probably been Hendrick and Gibbs. Uh, mainly, yeah, it's been 15 years since they started with or 16 years since they started with Toyota. Gibbs has been a factor. Um, Hendrick has always been, has been there basically my whole entire fandom. Um, but in, but the, in this case, this year with this car, Hendrick through however many things, of course, having the, the garage 56 car, um, other avenues that they're able to manipulate, um, having this car, um, they were, they had the advantage. I mean, they had four cars, Two of them won a lot of races, and then two of them were nowhere. Uh, in terms of Gibbs, three of the four drivers won races, and the fourth guy was the rookie of the year and almost made the playoff. And so, and that's with every all he was the only Toyota that Keebler was the only one that didn't make the playoffs for Toyota, which shows how good the Toyotas actually were. But it, I mean, he's a rookie; uh, you can kind of forgive that. Um, but I, I figured, Joe, you can. Uh, what were your thoughts on Hendrick and Gibbs this year? Considering seventy-five percent of the final four was represented by them, the guy that was the closest to making the final four, or just short of the final four, was Dennis Hamlin, another Toyota. So those were the two top teams. They ended up uh, holding the bag for Penske or for Ryan Blaney, but uh, the way this season went, I don't think we would have thought for most of the year it would have been one of those two teams. Yeah, you know, uh, with Hendrick and Gibbs, again, I'm, I'm left scratching my head a little bit. I guess last year wasn't maybe as surprising, uh, you know, with Logano winning the championship, because last year was a very different story, despite having you know, Hendrick really, for the most part, as an organization, dominate the season last year. Um, whereas Gibbs really seemed to struggle last year and Penske rose up. I feel like we're in a little bit of a similar but different situation. This year, Hendrick was pretty 50-50. Like you mentioned, William Byron had six wins by the end of the year. Kyle Larson had four. Uh, I believe they were the winningest organization just for those two drivers winning those 10 races. But on the other end of the spectrum, their other two drivers really struggled. Alex Bowman sat out, missed a few weeks due to injury. He didn't win any races, didn't make the playoffs. Chase Elliott, similarly, had to sit out due to an injury for a few weeks, then got suspended for another race, uh, missed seven weeks, didn't make the playoffs, had no wins. And particularly for Chase Elliott, I think it's more notable because ever since he started winning, he has not had not only a season where he hasn't won, but a season where he hasn't won multiple races. So to drop off to the other extreme and not win anything, not even make the playoffs, uh, you know, when he's the sport's most popular driver as voted by the fans, that's a pretty big difference. Um, so 
there's Hendrick for you wrapped up in a nutshell. Joe Gibbs, on the other hand, I was more impressed with this season than I was last year. Uh, Hamlin won a, a handful of races. You had Busher, or uh, I'm sorry, Bell make the final four. And despite it only being two wins, again, he showed up at the end of the at the end of the season. And uh, you had Truex win the Clash, the regular season championship, uh, put together a, a really impressive first 26 races. I don't have much to say about his playoffs. Um, but even Ty Gibbs, Ty Gibbs for being a rookie and for being his first year in the Cup Series, you know, he was up at the front when he crashed out of the Daytona race. He could have made the playoffs on points. He was one of, I believe, only three drivers at the end of the regular season that actually could have made the playoffs on points that wasn't already locked in. He had opportunities to win. He had a very good car. I remember sitting at the grandstands at Dover earlier in this uh, season, thinking to myself, like, oh, my God, Ty Gibbs might win his first race today, um, only to get beat out by his teammate, Truex. But, you know, to me, it was much more impressive what JGR put together as a, a collective organization this season. Um, Hendrick, while impressive, the fact that just the gap of performance between uh, their half of their organization uh, just really kind of left me wondering, you know, what what can they do differently over the offseason? Because they've put all four of their drivers, all four of their teams, all four of their cars into victory lane for the past two years up to this point. Uh, and then obviously it looked like they seemed like they were going to start off pretty hot. Alex Bowman won the pole uh, again for the Daytona 500 this year, I believe. And, uh, you know, it just absolutely shattered from there. It was all downhill from there, at least for Alex Bowman and uh, Chase Elliott, who started the year, I believe, dead last. Uh, I believe he finished last or next to last in the Daytona 500. Um, you know, when you look at those two organizations, right, just as a whole, the organization's not a particular driver. And then you compare that to Penske, who only put, who has three drivers, so one less than each of the other organizations, out of all fairness, but who only won two of the 26 regular season races with two drivers. Uh, Logano won at Atlanta. Logano, or, uh, Blaney won at the 600, and that was it. Penske was not seen again in victory lane until the playoffs, late in the playoffs, I might add, at Talladega. Um, when you think about that, right, they put two drivers in the playoffs of their three. They're two winning drivers from the regular season. One of them got a day eight in the first round. They got kicked out. Um, and then you had Blaney quietly rise to the top. You know, I do feel it was very similar. Penske, again, very prepared for this last stint of the year when you compare everything. So, yeah, the year, comparatively speaking, was not as impressive as your other two organizations. That that really did. They were the dominant organizations yet again of the season. But uh, at the end of the day, despite holding a 75% between those two organizations uh, rate of the potential to win the championship, come up short because they just don't have it in the end. Yeah, and in I think it speaks to what we were talking about earlier with the with the format having to be hot at the right time. I think it also speaks to the way that Penske has responded the last couple of years with their drivers and Logano um being that he knows what he's had to do and and now with Blaney figuring it out and becoming taking that next step in his career. Um Hendrick is definitely going to want to, they, I mean, we're not that far past when winning two consecutive championships and um, 
Larson literally dominating the whole entire series. Uh, Elliot going out there and and starting tailback and going all the way to the front and winning his championship. It's not that far away, but we'll see with how the parity is with this car, how that fits and how the two guys in Elliot uh, or, and uh, Bowman respond after off years. Um, for Truex, the performance in the playoffs was, was an abomination. And that is that going to be, is this the start of the end or was it just a 10 race, um, you know, aberration or aberration or whatever that, that the bottom fell out on them. Um, it looks like you got something, Joe. Oh yeah. I, I could go sound off on this. I had a conversation with my dad about it and he just had to listen to me for like 40 minutes. So sorry, dad, but man, um, you know, I, I think I'm probably going to cover two topics here. Not only the demise of Martin Truex Jr. in this year's NASCAR cup series playoffs, but the format itself, I think, it, you know, it, this is going to be a, a semi-transitional point. Uh, man, I don't know if in the in this era of the elimination grid format, I don't ever know that we've seen such a hard fall off where the person who is first at the end of the 26th race just absolutely falls on their face. And the fact he got, right... I think one top 10 to show for, for his entire playoffs, a single top 10, more notably a blown engine, a blown tire that ended his day fairly early at Kansas and just crappy performance. Really? I mean, they were not there. Like it, it shocked me how well they ran until they got their penalty at Martinsville because I was thinking to myself like, Oh my God, they, they have just fallen off of a cliff and they still might make the championship four. Right. I mean, quite honestly, with how close he was, I think it was about three or four points that kept him in the first round moving on to the second. And then every time he would reset right back to the top. I well tied for the top with uh, Byron, not in the not in the, the, the round of eight because Byron had gotten the win to propel himself solely to first. But I mean, you're talking every single round. Martin Truex Jr. was first or second in the reseeding. And every single round, we were talking about by a mere few points that could be counted on a set of hands, sometimes one hand, was all that was keeping him in the playoffs. That's how disappointing his performance was. I think two or three DNFs, at least two, because he blew a motor at Miami and crashed out of Kansas. I, I mean, just to me, it was such a, it was such a huge fall off, such a big difference that that's really what makes you question the legitimacy of the... It, it's not the format itself that makes you question the legitimacy of the format. You need to see something of that format. And this is what we saw. We saw the regular season champion, theoretically, the most dominant driver of the first 26 races, fall apart in the last 10. And somehow, some way, he was still rewarded and continued to move forward. This is my take on this. I, I like this format. Don't get me wrong. I love the elimination style. I love the drama it creates. It creates a lot of entertainment. It keeps fans invested, whether or not they realize that or not. It keeps them invested because they know they have a chance to move forward, right? With the old style, when when Tony Stewart and Carl Edwards, what was that, uh, 13 years ago, 12 years ago, when they fought for that championship, don't get me wrong, entertaining, yes. 
But if you were a fan of Ryan Newman, you knew you weren't going to win that championship probably after the third race, right? So about the time the first elimination occurs. However, that being said, by the end of the fourth race, you probably could have picked out one of three drivers that year to win the championship. This championship format keeps you guessing. That's the benefit of it to the fans and to NASCAR because it keeps the fans invested. You don't know, right? It holds you close. The problem that I have with it is it is absolutely ridiculous to allow someone to move forward through the playoffs when they can't score a top 10 until week five or six of a 10 race playoff. That's unacceptable to me. That The performance put forth by that 19 team was terrible, horrible, utterly disgusting. However you want to say it, it was bad. To me, I don't agree with Steve O'Donnell. Let me rephrase it. I do agree with Steve O'Donnell. He addressed the media in this very State of the Union fashion, the State of NASCAR, if you will. And he was absolutely uh, just unequivocal that this is the best playoff format ever. It's perfect, blah, blah, blah. I think it's a great playoff format. It's not perfect by any means. And any organization, I know the FIA, for as much as I don't really follow Formula One, I know the FIA has problems doing this. I think larger organizations, corporate organizations, uh, all have this problem because we live in an era where everybody's critical so the organization doesn't feel like they can criticize themselves. Everything's perfect. Um, I don't believe that to be true, and I think that's a really bad mentality if you think everything's perfect because that means there's no room for improvement. And I can tell you that many fans would disagree. I disagree. Uh, To me... The regular season champion, yes, should be rewarded. They put forth a fantastic regular season. I think Truex was amazing. He probably should have won more races. Definitely at least one more um, that I can think of off the top of my head in the regular season. But, you know, to me, just like all other sports, right? Think about in baseball, when you go into the postseason, if you are one of the top teams, you're getting a one-round buy. In football, if you're getting a buy, it only lasts for one round. All other major playoffs, a team that gets a buy, it's a waiver for one round, and you still have to punch it and earn it after that. To me, that was what made 2014, 15, and 16 in particular such great playoffs. The drivers that were rewarded for the first round did make the second round, right? But from there, they still had to go forward and earn it. Truex did not earn it. James Small did not earn it. The entire 19 team, they did not earn it. They should not have even had a sniff as close of the championship four as they got. There needs to be some restructuring. I'm not necessarily saying they need to go back and do a whole brand new thing. Uh, I still like the elimination format for a number of reasons, but... There are things that they can take, things they've already done, right? Like, we're just going to wipe the slate clean after the second round. Everyone's reset to the same number. Have at it. I think that's a great concept moving forward, and I think that way you're going to get more legitimate champions in the eyes of fans moving forward with this format, right? If Martin Truex Jr. had won the the championship this year, right, let's say he sneaks by, he, you know, finishes second or third at Martinsville, basically what he needed to do and then goes out, wins at Phoenix. I would have, and I'm sure many people would have, been pissed. Like, how do you let someone perform that poorly in this playoffs that, in theory, is about rewarding high-performance, near-perfection performance? How do you let someone who scored in that scenario 
three top tens in seven races, probably the on next to the worst of the playoff drivers, how do you reward them with the championship? Honestly, um, no matter how good the regular season was. So to me, that's my problem. I also don't, and this is a whole nother topic. I won't get too much into this, but the playoffs next year are going to shape up to be even worse because of the selection of tracks NASCAR has brought forward into the first two rounds. You have an opportunity to make an even further argument that whoever wins the championship could have been a bit of a fluke. Um, that's the end of my rant for here, because that, that's a, a, a different rant. But my, my God, just the, the fact that they think the, the playoff format is perfect, I think speaks to where they are as a sport. And I think when fans, you know, say things, I know sometimes fans go off a little too much, but I think there's something to be learned from the fans if NASCAR is willing to put forth the effort to listen. Yeah, all good points there, Joe. Uh, I mean, very valid in terms of Truex. It's the in terms of the the regular season champion over the years. Uh, they've usually lasted um, and actually performed. This is a first in med- maybe period uh, where the regular season champion or the driver that started the playoffs in the number one seed. Um, basically, or it, I think, I think for probably smoke in 09, uh, dropped anchor in the playoffs, but that was because he ran out of gas. Um, I mean, I, I or something happened to him. I, I think 2010, he ran out of gas in New Hampshire. Um, 2009, they just were not in a good place and they dropped off and Jimmy, um, went and, uh, did his thing. And uh, I don't. I'm thinking of who was that the year that it was him and Mark Martin? Was it Jimmy, Mark, was Martin? Jimmy Mark Martin and Jeff yeah. Gordon? Yeah, that was uh, and oh eight was Jimmy with uh, Carl. Carl Edwards. Um, okay, yeah. So I mean that that I think was um, the last time that I can really think of a, a championship like the person who was leading the points was not basically kind of disappeared. Um, because I think in 13, Matt Kenseth went all the way to the end. Um, 20 Kyle Busch in 2008, or he was the best guy. Yeah. Yeah. 26 and then completely fell off the first three races in the chase. And then, you know, he wasn't heard from again that season. Yeah. That, but so saying the most recent one that I can think of was like, Oh nine, Oh eight was another example um before we went to this format um josh what did you want to uh chime in in regards to truex um and i guess we can talk about it in terms of the format what are your thoughts on this format or any changes you may would like to see since they believe it's the perfect format well i mean to kind of piggyback off of what joe's point with truex how truex kind of just backdoored his way all the way through to the round of eight uh, there um, to kind of understand how he even got to that point, you know, go back to the first three years of the playoffs where, um, you know, 2014, 2015, you know, we had guys get eliminated um, in the round of eight, the round of 12 uh, that had fairly good seasons. I remember Logano got junked by Kenseth and that basically ended his season um, in uh 2015 and then 2016 um you know that was kind of when we started to see like i think a lot of people started 
paying more attention to the flaws of the system and then um, the elimination race. They moved Talladega to the race before the elimination race in the round of 12 in Kansas. Uh, Martin Truex Jr. and uh, Brad Keselowski were two of the best drivers that year um, throughout the year, but then they blew. They both had blown engines, I think, and I think a lot of people uh, called it as anticlimactic that two of the best drivers in the series that year got eliminated um, and weren't going to have anything to show for it, and I think that was like part of the reason why they added in the uh, playoff point format uh, with stage racing to um, be able to reward guys for oh if you know you scored stage points but then you know let you know the final stage at some point you get taken out with blown engine wreck or whatever you just fall off completely um, you have you get credit for the first half or first two thirds however uh, of the stage uh, or of the race you know, to, to get credit for that. And that, you know, kind of inflates your value of your race. You know, that's why a couple of years ago, back in, um, 2020, Ryan Blaney, uh, got up to like third in the standings, uh, in the middle of the year, but you know, overall his season that year was fairly weak. He just was able to stack up so many stage points, uh, to get himself up, up to that point, uh, in the middle of 2020. But, um, you know, now Truex had all these playoff points that he stacked up throughout the year, uh, in here in 2023. And then he was able to use that, um, to backdoor his way into the playoffs and, um, you know, to kind of illustrate, you know, how good he was. I mean, the last two races before he got eliminated could have had a chance to, um, not get eliminated or possibly win, uh, you know, at Homestead, Joe, you were there, you saw Truex, uh, lead in the first part of that race and then uh, had a blown motor and then uh, could have easily won or had a better finish at Martinsville. And, um, you know, they were leading at one point, but then uh, they didn't, uh, you know, end up winning that race. So they could have easily had a chance, you know, uh, Danny Hamlin talked about on his show, just, he was just like any, any week uh, Martin Drex could come out and win and be right back in it. And, um, I mean, that speaks to the flaws of the format, I think, with the way this is set up. I mean, I was just thinking, I mean, thinking of this, like, in my head just now, like, you could have the stage points and the playoff points that you collect uh, from the first part of the year, from the first 26 races, that helps you seed uh, for the um, the first round, and then any additional stage points and playoff points that you earn only count towards the um, final round, so whatever you earn, for the first 26 races don't count uh toward don't carry over but um whatever you earn within those three three and three races uh would would eventually carry over uh to the final round uh so um it's it's just the more that they change it just shows how convoluted it really is um and i mean going back to what i was saying earlier with how they developed this system i mean it was kind of a kind of a apology i guess in a way of to make sure we didn't have shock eliminations um in anyway we still see shock eliminations but the sense of where i feel like the first two years were extremely dramatic we had a lot of drama you know, we had guys fighting each other on a week-to-week -week basis you know we saw what happened with logano like i mentioned earlier so um you know we didn't have we haven't had that type of um you know drama in this playoff system or at least in that type of way i mean we've seen it since then but you know the um i guess toxicity didn't really come back until you know last year with um 
with all the stuff that happened uh, throughout that year. And then um, Ross Chassain getting in uh, with the wall right there, which you had the die cast of. So, um, yeah, I mean, it just shows that the more that they tinker with the system to try to make it more evened out, um, the more rules that, you know, you have to imp implement to, um, you know, show who's the most deserving champion and everything. It, and, you know, that at some point they have to, you know, simplify it in a way that makes sense to, um, you know, most people, you know, when, when I was at the Coke zero 400 in Daytona, I went with two friends that had never been to NASCAR, you know, they don't really follow NASCAR. I mean, they started kind of paying attention more when I told them about this show and all that, you know, even though they're been lifelong friends for the most part, but you know, I had to explain, explain to them how all this works. And, you know, I wrote up a Google doc explaining why that race was so important, why it was so important for Martin Truex versus Denny Hamlin in the regular season title. And then, you know, on the car ride back uh, to the Bucky's there, where I dropped my, dropped my car, like waiting for traffic to um, fall out. Like, and he explained like, okay, like why, you know, this whole thing, playoff format supposed to work why did they crown truex the champion um and truex isn't really the champion he's just like here's here's like a um participation trophy for being the best guy out of the first 26 um you know so you get credit for that um and everything because you know we, even before 2017 uh, or um whenever they started doing the whole regular season champion thing um you know, it, it didn't, you know, it didn't really make any sense to, you know, crown the guy after the first 26, um, you know, the regular season and, and, you know, football, baseball, basketball, whatever we're going to, cause now we're going to compare playoffs here. You know, they don't, they don't give the new England Patriots the, a, a award for, you know, being the number one seed, right? They're the number one seed. They get it. Their reward for that is having the the bye week or whatever, you know, and if they get eliminated, then they get eliminated. They don't get any trophy other than being division champions. Um, you know, which that's a, a crown. They all make t-shirts and everything, but they don't have like a, a trophy presentation, um, post race or post event. Like they do with NASCAR. They, you know, have a whole, whole ass trophy that they give to the, um, regular season champion, uh, for it. And I mean, Kyle Larson has one, Truex, you know, has one. So, um, and you know, I think Chase Elliott has one. So, um, it's pretty interesting to see how, how they reward it. And, you know, I think, you know, they, they've got to, they've got to be able to simplify it in a way that makes it easy for new people to understand. Um, and then also in a way that, you know, the old, the old guard, you know, hardcore fans can still agree with and, you know, not have to, you know, get it, get in the weeds of, you know, in these type of discussions and um you know one final point on this i'm kind of you know one of the reasons why i've never really liked the playoff format is because well we don't really see any other major racing series adopt this format you know we don't see indycar adopting it we don't see this in imsa um we don't see this in f1 i mean they've all had kind of their different ways of awarding the championship that have you know seemed goofy over the years, you know, with double points in the Indy 500 and last race season, uh, I think F1 had their own version of double points for a few years there. Um, I don't know about IMSA, but, um, you had that, I mean, but then I was reading an article that, um, Matt Weaver put out of, you know, I think in the aftermath of the championship and talking about who was, um, 
the you know the formats and all that stuff and he did demonstrate that a lot of i guess more regional tours uh the hooters pro cup series which is now the car store i think that's where kind of the chase evolved from or kind of came from um and then there's other series that are you know more regional that have adopted a playoff format and i think even in nhra you might have to back me up on this phil because i'm not really as keen to the nhra like you but i think they have something that kind of resembles the playoff so maybe there are other series that are starting to adopt it but then i also just look at the whole global realm of motorsport and you know nascar you know they Obviously, they are the major series here in America in stock car racing, and you know, I you know, I think you know, there's got to be a better way of determining the champion, and you know, I think the old way of you know most points throughout the end of the you know throughout the whole season, or even most points throughout um, a certain subset of races and ten races, I think as a better way than you know cutting off people after three races, three races, and then having one race uh, where you know you could theoretically win 35 out of 36 races lead 311 out of 312 laps and then have a flat tire and then whoever's in second um you know ends up winning the race so and the championships so um you know i i don't i don't think that's how motorsports titles deserve to or should be uh, determined so i think you know there's definitely a different way that they could be doing it all valid points uh i mean in terms of what you were saying, Josh, in terms of the NHRA, they've had the um, countdown format in the NHRA in some way, shape, or form for a good while. Uh, they made that because of the way the points were, where there would be a dominant driver that would get out to a huge lead. And if they didn't have a reset, basically at the U.S. Nationals in September, which is similar to what NASCAR has, then the championship would have basically been over and nobody would have given a crap. Um, it has allowed for champions. It's allowed for some dramatic finishes at Pomona. And um, we saw that, especially in Top Fuel and Funny Car, uh, with um, Doug Coletta finally winning his first Top Fuel title and Matt Hagen winning his fourth Funny Car title. Um, they weren't theoretically, I mean, Matt Hagen was one of the main three guys in the, in the funny car class. Uh, Coletta was good, but he wasn't as good as some of the other drivers during the regular season. And, but he put he was able to utilize the reset and get a good, um, playoff, put himself in position consistency but that's over a few races they don't do a reset after the initial reset it was more similar to the um, original chase format um, which was a 10 race playoff um, i mean i think for me i've i i don't like 16 drivers i don't when you have 36 chartered cars and you basically have half the cars um, in the playoffs, I know that in all major ball sports, they're trying to expand their playoffs, have more teams. I don't. It it's convoluted. I, I think eight, ten, and twelve should be the way. I think eight trucks, when you consider how many races they have, ten Xfinity cars and twelve Cup cars, um, makes sense. Whether you want to give the top six or top eight in points, and then you want to open it up to like winners, which is similar to the previous format where the top two guys that won outside of the top 10 made it, you know, we can kind of finagle that. Um, the playoff point thing and having stage points, okay, fine. You started at 
once you start at the first race, okay, this is what it is. Um, you don't have a reset anymore um, until you get to uh, the final, whatever. I guess it, it would for me, it would be a three-race championship run uh, or something like that where you would have, I would say, let's just say six drivers. So then you get more, you get more of the, uh, more people get a, a, a bite of the apple, so to speak, more teams, more sponsors, and it's a three-race playoff where you have a reset. Okay, fine, you've earned these points over the first seven races or however many races, the first nine races, because I think 36 races, you could do 24 regular season, 12 in the playoff. Um, you can go and do eight races and then do a four race championship and then at the end of the day it's more like the regular season you have a reset you're competing there would be more incentive for those guys to race for the stages there would be more incentive for the guys to get those those points um and i mean the playoff points don't matter at that point it would just be stage points and earning as many points as you can if you win a race that gives you an advantage, whatever, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it's kind of a a raw idea in my head, but it's not a perfect format. Um, the IndyCar, with how they have a weird um, overall point system, but the fact is 2023 was the first year since uh, 2007, I, or two that yeah since 2006 that the championship didn't come down to the final race of the season uh, and this has essentially been the same four point format that they've had yeah they had double points at indy they had double points they had a final race with double points but the championship came down to the last race of the season um it wasn't a one race playoff either uh you look at formula one it almost played a role in 2014 where lewis uh, was going against Nico, no, Lewis Hamilton versus Nico Rosberg, which is the Mercedes drivers going against each other. If Nico Rosberg had won and then something crazy had happened to Lewis Hamilton, he would have lost the, cha- the world championship. In the end, Lewis Hamilton won the race. It didn't matter. Um, I think there is in, in 2016, it was the other way around. They were trying to make Lewis not hold up the pack and stuff, but that wasn't a double point steal. That was just because he, him and Nico hated each other. Um, that was just competition. Um, in the end, the format they have is what it is. Uh, we've seen some interesting champions. Uh, there's only been two repeat champions since Jimmy Johnson's five, uh, five bagger, um, from 20, from 2006 to 2010, but that was a different chase format. Um, since this format's come along, it's only been Kyle Busch and Joey Logano, and we can really get into semantics about both of those guys and, and at, at least one of those championships. So, um, it's hard to repeat, which I guess makes it, you know, more of a interesting, uh, but trying to explain it to the lay person. No, uh, this, it's not good. Uh, they're the format that they had in 2011 was much easier to explain than uh, than uh, what they have right now. And it's uh, interesting. We're recording on the anniversary, the 12 year anniversary of Tony uh, winning at Homestead to defeat um, 
Carl Edwards win five race, win his fifth race and win the championship, which was probably the uh, motivation for why we have the format we have right now. Um, so it's it's something we're always. I I don't think we're ever gonna have a scenario, especially with the people that they have making the decisions and SOD and Steve Phelps that is going to really be valid. They're messing with the schedule too and the races in the playoff, which I also think is not great. Um, so that, uh, like Joe said, so I mean, we're kind of uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't. I'll, we'll change We'll change it up here. We talked about the final four. Um, we talked about the playoff format. Um Let's talk about Harv. Kevin Harvick, he retired 60 wins in his cup career. Did have a couple of chances late in the season to win uh, a final race in his final, uh, win a race in his final year. It has been kind of the trend where the drivers on their, you know, in their final year haven't really been able to win. Uh, basically, Kevin had that solid, solid performance last year. Or, I mean, yeah, he had a couple of wins in the summer, and he kind of looked like the old Kevin Harvick. That was really the end. But Kevin Harvick was always a factor, and he left RCR, and they basically became irrelevant uh, until a couple of years ago when they had Tyler Reddick. Uh, and then Kyle Busch didn't have any money, so he just dropped in, in RC's lap. But they've been irrelevant since Kevin Harvick had left. Tony Stewart Haas Racing basically had relevance because of Kevin Harvick. Uh, Bud Washer and Bush hitched their wagon to him in 2010 and stayed with him until a couple of weeks ago. Um, it shows his viability when you consider what Kevin Harvick was taking over for the late Dale Earnhardt and he had GM Goodrich on the car for uh, the first six years of his career. Then he the Shell Pennzoil deal came together, and he had that sponsorship for a while, a good, I think, six years there before they moved on to Penske or thereabouts. And then he had Budweiser and Bush. It speaks to the businessman of Kevin, that Kevin Harvick was. And he ran a team, him and his wife ran a team for many years and was a successful organization, especially on the truck series. But... Kevin Harvick's meaning to the sport is bigger than just being Kevin Harvick, the driver. Now he's going from uh, being a driver and he's going to be the lead analyst at Fox, which is something uh, considering the way things circle around and it, it, you retire and you're the, it, it, to me in a lot of ways it has similarities to Dale Jarrett um, because Dale Jarrett wasn't, really competitive for the, I don't know, last few years of his career. But it was something that people thought was going to be really cool to see him get in the booth because of how his legendary father and how great he was. And, you know, take it or leave it, whatever your opinion. Dale Jarrett has been as advertised um, in terms of his uh, being an analyst. Rusty Wallace, I mean, he wasn't good on TV. He's been all right on radio. And he kind of figured it out by that point. But you, you think about some of these drivers. The pre he's Kevin Harvick has been an outspoken guy. He's been someone that will tell it like it is. And you need that in the booth. And it 
whatever god loved dw he wasn't that guy he he was more he was just as much of an ass kisser as he was somebody who would go and kind of say he said stuff when he was on tnn you know when he was doing it part-time once he got in there with fox there was it was kind of protected um he was good for the first contract and then dropped off the face of the planet kevin harvick i think he is in a position kind of like dale jr where he comes from the from the history side of things he comes from the west coast with all the uh, great racers that came from there he had to sleep on ron hornaday's couch before he became who he was and now you think about i mean they i was reading about landon lewis on social media earlier today and he was working for khi as part of their program this weekend and he's another guy who comes from the hornaday development program so it's always like this circle kevin harvick run hornaday and the next generation um there's a responsibility for kevin harvick and in the flip side that those are big that's a big void in this sport we have lost one of the last true voices in this sport um and it's been the trend since 2015 with jeffy uh calling it quits tony wanted to quit they told him not to he stuck around another year uh somehow or another won one race uh got hurt missed races but he won one more race you had dale jr and matt kenseth retire the next year uh in last year kurt bush had to retire because of uh concussion uh like concussion symptoms i mean i i may be forgetting someone in between that but you look at all those guys and those guys all were in and around from 1998 through 2004 which was basically the or 2000 yeah the start of the like the the peak period of NASCAR and the growth period. And then when Winston cup ended and sprint came into the sport and that changed things too. And where the playoff, where the chase format came along, they were in that time. Those were all the young guys and now they're all gone. And we look at this sport next year. Um, I'll, I'll give it to you guys. Um, Josh, I'll start with you for Kevin Harvick. What has he meant to you? Because in for you guys, I know he's been there the whole time, or virtually the whole time you've watched. Um, I remember Kevin Harvick going back to his Southwest Tour days and um, driving for Brad Doherty in the Truck Series, even. So it's it's crazy to see what he has become and what he has done and what he has meant, not just as a driver, but in general, all the things he has done in in nascar coming from humble beginnings and um from uh from california uh, and sleeping on ron hornaday's couch to being a champion uh, and being a championship winning owner uh it's a big void that we're, we're big void we have now in this sport i mean yeah for me um i think honestly for me at the end of the day is someone that turned out to be a really dominant driver um i mean when i was you know, a kid watching uh, the first few years, um, you know, wasn't that dominant, uh, but managed to, you know, have clutch wins like the 2007 Daytona 500. Um, and then, you know, he didn't didn't win until um, Talladega in 2010. 
in the cup series and um, just how he was able to get close snail baiting finishes and, um, you know, somehow come from nowhere to, uh, you know, win races um, is kind of what impressed him or impressed me about him, um, you know, in the middle of his career. And then, you know, he, uh, you know, ran Dale Jr. ran out of gas at Charlotte and uh, who won that race, uh, Kevin Harvick did in the Coke 600. So, uh, you know, he always had those types of wins where, came from nowhere but then you know he um went to Stuart Haas so he just turned it turned it up another level and you know went and uh won the championship in 2014 um had a really good year in 2015 and 16 uh 2018 you know 2019 2020 uh just went into a really really dominant portion of his career and then kind of fell off after that um and then you know he's now retired but you know, he just really ended up being a kind of a, a dominant guy um at the end at the end of his career i think you know with his pairing with uh rodney childress just a really good pairing of uh, crew chief and driver there that went on a, a huge run for um several years and you know uh, up until up until uh you know 2021 from you know 2014 all the way through 2020 he was actually in the final four every year so um except for 2016 so uh yeah just a guy that has always been consistent with the right the right team and somebody you know that uh just went on a incredible run and somebody that knows how to knows how to win but then you know also um you know with khi you know it went away in 2011 but uh he still was able to keep around kind of the foundation of that and turn that into a management and representation team and now he's you know representing uh drivers uh throughout the sport and helping them uh advance their careers and helping them get better from a management and representation side not just like the opportunities but giving them the what they need to be able to kind of polish themselves from a uh, media perspective and be able to, um, you know, move on, get rides. And you know, we're kind of seeing that with, uh, Josh Berry and how they're helping him out in that. And also giving opportunities and late models for him to go out and, uh, compete and get ready for next year with, uh, Rodney Childers. So yeah, it's a, it's actually, I mean, a pretty big loss. I mean, he, you know, it wasn't in terms of star power, you know, not as, uh, big as, you know, Tony Stewart, Jeff Gordon, Jimmy Johnson or Dale Jr. But, you know, behind those guys, you know, he, well, um, you know, statistically, you know, for him, you know, definitely one of the better guys, uh, you know, in the last, the last few years that, you know, you can say um, really left the mark in terms of uh, competition. Yeah. I, I forgot about Jimmy somehow, uh, but Jimmy still theoretically is active because he is going to go run races next year uh, for his own team in legacy and so he came back to the cup series to run again similar to uh like michael schumacher retired and then came back um but he ran full-time it wasn't part-time uh there's been other instances of drivers coming back after retiring so uh, uh yeah i mean like mark martin perfect example his he retired and unretired and for eight eight hundred times and his career went another i think six or seven years in the cup series uh ran more or less a full should have won a truck champion if he had run the full truck series in 06 he would have won the championship i mean so the, there's examples of that in racing 
um, in recent times. But Kevin Harvick has no desire to do that. It sounds like he's going to go follow the Dale Jr. plan uh, where he's going to run a couple of races here and there. Um, I mean, I would like to, Dale Jr. wanted to run the truck set martinsville but he's not a fan of the stage uh the way the stages are and all that at martinsville especially with the truck series knowing how bad the truck series drivers are um he probably didn't want to do that but i'd still be cool to see dale jr actually run a truck um kevin harvick of course started made his name first in the truck series it'd be and of course with khi with ron hornaday especially um, it would be great to see him come back to the truck series um, again, but I think he'll probably get in an Xfinity car next year, a couple of races. Um, Joe, go to you. In terms of Harvick and his, I mean, him leaving the sport, we were talking about all those big names uh, as well, and he is one of those big names. 60 wins, one cup championship. He won all of the major races. Uh, if you think about the Winston Million races, he won all of them. He, if you want to add, uh, you add the Brickyard to that. He's got the, he's got the big five. Um, he was able to win on any type of racetrack, uh, minus the dirt. But then that was only a couple of year thing here, here in the late end of his career, which is you know not not you can't really fault him on that. Um, in terms of what the series was for the vast majority of his career, he was able to win everywhere. He was able to build uh, an organization. And then as a father now is raising a kid who's trying to be a Formula One world champion. So he's going to, that's why he needs to work on Fox because he needs to afford um, how Keelan's going to be able to go to Formula One. But I, for for what Kevin Harvick has meant in terms of and what is, I, I think I would, I would put it to you this way. I mean, you can say your talk about Kevin Harvick, what he's meant to you as a fan and what he's meant in general. But does Kevin Harvick have pressure in terms of leaving the sport as a driver, but trying to, you know, making sure that he stays as a voice to work with the RTA to make sure that the drivers are getting what they need and these teams are getting what they need? And then secondarily, while he's in the booth, can he be someone like a Charles Barkley? Can he be someone that is no nonsense and is going to give you the truth and really change the way we we look at NASCAR races and NASCAR broadcasting in general? Yeah, I think it's interesting that you use the word pressure in this particular situation because normally you would think, you know, He's retiring. The pressure should be off, right? Normally, that's what happens. You retire, the pressure's off, everything's fine. Um, so it's interesting you use that, but I think it's a really carefully selected and still a good word to use. Um, the pressure, you know, I don't know that I would say it's a high level of pressure, but I think very similar. You made a few comparisons to, to him and to Dale Jr., and I think, it, you know, he and Dale Jr., I would love to know what they talk about off the podcast and you know, behind closed doors, surely they're going to be, you know, competitors still in some sense with uh, Dale Jr. doing the NBC part of the season, Kevin Harvick doing the Fox portion of the year. Um, but at the end of the day, I think they're both in the booth for the same reasons. 
They both have a great appreciation for the history of the sport. They care about the sport in its current day. They're both recent drivers who can both give really good and coherent insight. Um, but I think, too, it is, I would have to imagine some of it may be pushed by NASCAR, like, hey, see if you can do something here. Because these are two drivers. I mean, Dale Jr. already a Hall of Famer. Kevin Harvick surely will be a Hall of Famer. If he's not a first ballot, it'll not take him very long, um, you know, just given the career he's got. But, you know, there is probably some pressure, and maybe not necessarily on Kevin himself or on Dale Jr. himself, uh, but there may be pressure from from NASCAR, from the sanctioning body, you know. The sport, especially this year, you know, last year we, as a sport, we had a lot of highs. This year we had a lot of lows, and that particularly pertaining to the TV ratings. Um, I mean, the Phoenix race this year, I think I heard, was down by, I mean, multiple million viewers compared to last season. And it, it's great we're selling more tickets, but ultimately there's going to be more people that have the ability to view the race at home. So that's a bad look. Um, you know, I know a handful of Dale Jr. fans who, after he stopped racing, were contemplating whether or not they were going to bother to watch anymore because they were so invested in his father. They weren't so invested in him and his career. And, you know, I think by Dale Jr. staying on and becoming a part of the TV broadcast saved some of the viewership in almost like a damage control. In some way, I see Kevin Harvick being in the booth as something similar. Now, you know, uh, to what Josh said, I, Kevin Harvick has never been the most popular. He's always kind of teetered on, you know, being unpopular and being popular at some times. Um, but, you know, he's extremely notable. He's had an incredible Hall of Fame career. And keeping a face like that, especially to my generation, right? We've been on shows before, Phil, where you've talked about, you know, Davey Allison and uh, Dale Jarrett. They were more your your drivers, your generation. For for dr people my age who followed the sport, who got into the sport at, at a young age, you know, where we were born in the very late 90s or early 2000s, you know, for us, Kevin Harvick is one of the last drivers that is still around, right? Kyle Busch is fun to listen to when he swears on TV because he's had a bad day and how he killed the car, even though he, you know, maybe brushed it. Um, but Kevin Harvick's actually good at TV. He can get you invested. He can get you to watch and he can reel you in and he can spit out a lot of good information to do it. I think that makes him such an asset, his ability to translate what it takes behind the wheel to the fans, right? To meet them in the middle and say, uh, very plain and simply, this is what we go through. He can help you elaborate your uh, you know, he can elaborate rather to help you get to, to figure that next step, that next level thinking, right? This is what we think as a driver. He has the ability to make you be able to comprehend that, to, uh, to be able to see that as a fan. And the fact that they can keep him in front of the audience, I think is a huge win. Really, he doesn't need this. NASCAR needs him more than he needs NASCAR at this point. Um, and I think the same could very easily be said about Dale Jr. I think they're two, they're coming from very similar situations. Uh, Harvick, I would argue, more successful for sure, at least on the racetrack. Um, but, 
you know, I, I think they're coming from very similar situations. Harvick's meant a great deal. Um, it's interesting because, you know, some drivers, Jimmy Johnson, I felt like got a really pretty large send off. Um, Dale Jr. got a huge send off despite, you know, not really having as successful a career as some of the drivers who retired around him. Um, got a huge send off. Jeff Gordon went out in pretty big fashion. Uh, Harvick kind of got a hashtag and Bush got involved in some pretty cool things. Um, but it was more localized. Like, I don't really feel like a lot of the other, you know, they put up the forever decals on the racetrack walls, but, um, it wasn't quite the send off season I thought he might have, but nonetheless, I think it shows the fact that the folks in the sport are putting in any type of effort shows what he's meant, right? He has, he's won at almost every racetrack. I think at one point he was within like one or two racetracks from winning at every racetrack. Um, up until they, you know, started playing around with the schedule more. He has won all the majors. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. We all know it. And I think one of the interesting things about him, and I think it's probably one thing we'll also say about Truex, um, his career, he's aged and gotten better with it. Um, and it's not to say that he wasn't good because he was. He was really good pretty much right off the bat. He won the Atlanta race, won the inaugural race at Chicago, uh, believe collected another two or three wins within those first two years. Um, 2005, six, seven rolled around and, you know, scored some really big wins. Sure, went into a lull, but from there you could tell every time he learned something, he got better. And it got to a point where the closer was just no longer, it was a fun nickname, but it was no longer accurate because you could see it coming from a mile away. He was going to win that race. He would dominate it. Um, you went from the closer to the dominator and, you know, a guy like that who, you know, and, and especially right this podcast, we've talked about so much about these playoffs, this elimination format style, this era, right? This newer era. He was the first person to be a successor in this new era, right? With this elimination style, he won the first championship and, you know, up until a few years ago, he was almost a sure lock. You could almost just move him from the 16 to the four, right? 2014, 2015, 2016, I think he only missed it by a few points. Uh, he had a bad race at Martinsville. 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, again, if he had just gone around one car and not then subsequently spun out, would have been in the final four. You know, it, I mean, a guy that just year after year after year was so dominant, maybe, yeah, he didn't have the same success as Jimmy Johnson, so we don't hear about it as much, but he, um, he means a lot to the sport, and I think, you know, the, the efforts that were made this year to promote his final year, while maybe they weren't super big and flashy, I think that shows it. Um, he's not a driver that people are going to forget about. The fact that he's going to stick around racing is a huge win for racing, um, in pr particular for NASCAR. He'll keep fans there. He's the type of person who can get new fans invested uh, because he cares. And that's, I think, something that we're going to see. I mean, given the way that Fox's broadcast has been over the last few years and basically not being serious, adding a serious person to the deal, uh, what that will mean uh, overall. Um, Ratings-wise, I'm not so sure, but bringing a, a competent, responsible, mature voice um, to help Mike Joy out at the end of his time, basically, 
um, you know, to go and look at that and see where it goes. Uh, the last thing we'll get into, I think, uh, or there's, I mean, there's a couple things, but I'd say um, the car itself, I think uh, we'll get into the car uh, itself first, and then we'll say biggest uh, surprises and disappointments. Uh, the car, I mean, we're all in some level of agreement with what we think about the car, what we feel about the car. Um I personally, at this point, I'm like, whatever Dale Jr. says, just do whatever he wants, uh, because I think he knows, and because he's redneck Jesus, he everything he says is true. So, but, I mean, in terms of what the car needs or what they should do, I mean, getting, getting a different gear uh, ratio so that essentially having fifth gear is only like an overdrive, so they only have a four-speed transmission, making a different tire so that they can they'll have wear which at martinsville maybe was the first time since this car has come along where they actually had a compelling short track race um you look at um the racing outside of cookie cutters uh is not really good they've ruined road racing uh but i mean let's let's be fair shouldn't be about road racing in nascar um, it was fine when they had, you know, maybe a couple, three, four races on road courses. Jim France's obsession his whole entire time has been IMSA. You know, his dad allowed him to basically run the IMSA show from the beginning or thereabouts once he was basically an adult. He's like, yeah, this you can do. And he's always been a sports car person, road racing person. Um but NASCAR has its place. It should be racing at some of the great ovals that we have in America. Uh, there's places now that are getting brought back. They're going to go to Iowa for the first time ever next year. they bringing back the Milwaukee Mile. You're talking about some of these tracks, short tracks around the country. They should be racing there. Um, I don't need to see uh, the Cup Series at Coda. I mean, granted, at least it means that they don't go to Texas twice, thank God. Um, but, you know, it doesn't fit. You know, going to Road America while the, the lap takes forever, the Road America race kind of was because the fans showed up. And when you talk about people actually showing up to races, the Road America, the fan base that you get to go to Road America is one of the best that you're going to see in the whole entire country, no matter what race it is. Um, but they got rid of that for the Chicago street course. You know, it's only been one race, one time that they've been there. Um, so that's a new new uh, choice. Um, do I think that this will continue to be the case? Uh, will they continue to do street course races? I hope not. Um, that's for IndyCar. That's for Formula One. That's for sports car racing, et cetera, et cetera. I think the car itself... We had more parity in 22 and 23. We saw we started to see what this series has been for a long time. However, RFK kind of shows that this car has given them an opportunity. If we were still in the Gen 6 platform, do I think Brad Keselowski would have been able in his second year as a, a primary one of the owners of an organization get his team to the forefront and have one of his drivers be as competitive as chris busher was no uh you look at track house and they're being competitive 
they weren't as competitive as they were last year, but Ross Chastain ended up winning two races. Ross Chastain was a factor for, for parts of this season, and they were a new organization just a couple, two, three years ago. You have Jimmy Johnson investing in the sport, um, taking and making legacy, and now they're going to be a Toyota organization. What will that bring to the table now that he has Eric Jones and John Hunter Nemechek? How can how will the transition from one manufacturer to the other go in this with this car compared to uh, the Gen Six? Those are all things. That, those are all different questions I have. I mean, I don't really care for super speedway racing. I never will. Um, you guys have a bit more better fondness for it, largely because your favorite driver was really damn good at it, <laughs> and he won a lot of them. Uh, but I. I'm not a fan of the way they race on Zuber Speedways. I'm not really a fan of the way that a lot of these guys race in general, uh, especially in the lower, in the in the feeder series. But in terms of this cup car, potential is there. The car has good things about it. There are things they should change, but they won't. Um, I think, I mean, what, I'll go to you, Joe, first. What would you say is like if you said if there's three things that we could improve uh, to make this car better in general what would those three things be in your opinion you know that's a good question because i don't i think about it a lot and i think it, it probably lines up very closely with what you've kind of already mentioned the gears the gear shift it, it something's got to change with the the ratio the number of gears that there are whatever but Having that fifth gear, what is is, is I, I can't stand it. And it's weird because it's like it's just one more gear, right? But here's the problem. It's introduced shifting to tracks we've never shifted at before. It's introduced more shifting to certain tracks. And I think the more you shift, the more it hurts the the at least the fans, the product. It hurts the product of the racing you get. Um and you know, it's funny because you know, we talk about this car was intended to be a road course car. You know, really, it lines up with uh, the IMSA cars pretty well and such uh, as far as the make of the vehicle goes. And it's totally slaughtered any entertainment of road course racing that we've gotten. There were some of the road course races this year were a little bit better than they were last year, but not by a significant amount. Um, and it's also slaughtered the short track racing, the racing that I primarily thought was, you know, the really good you know, the, the best of the best type of racing, um, you know, with the Gen 6 car was that short track racing, at least for the uh, for the lower downforce package, that real high downforce package they had one of those years, uh, the short tracks was just a mistake. Um, you know, we, we've kind of just swapped to the opposite. This car happens to actually really be good for the tracks where you do let way less shifting or where the shifting hasn't affected the product, which are the mile and a halfs and Talladega, Daytona, Atlanta, the the super speedway style racing. And so with that, I, I think the gear shift, they've got to figure something out because theoretically, hopefully it wouldn't affect uh, still the, the product of the super speedway style or intermediate style racetracks, but the tracks where they do shift now, the short tracks and the uh, road courses, hopefully would help that. Um, help the passability help, you know, what they can and can't do. Um, that one's a big one for me. It bothers me a lot. It's bothered me since the very first Martinsville race of last year. I was at that race and it sucked. It was terrible. Um, the, the tires, another thing they, and this is not, 
have a really hard time faulting NASCAR on this one uh, because I'm solely talking about the tire, the rubber, that Goodyear's got a NASCAR needs to collaborate with Goodyear. Whatever they did at Martinsville for the second race this year worked. It was good. It was great. And we need more of that. We need more of that across the board for next year at all of the short tracks and even at all the road courses. Like even if that's something they can introduce to the road course races, that might save them um, at those types of tracks too. That's a big gain. Um, you know, the tires, they're just because the sidewall is thinner, it's a smaller tire and it's a wider tire. The tires produce more mechanical grip for the car. So the car's going to slide around a little bit less. Um, it's just because too, it's a, a, a thinner tire. Um, it's also got to be a more stiff tire. And because of the stiffness, I think it's not as wearing as much and, you know, fall off at a lot of tracks really doesn't play a factor. I think we saw it play more of a factor in 2023 than we did in 2022, which I'm happy about. Um, and it, like I said, especially at that second Martinsville race, whatever they did there really, really worked. But, you know, being the owner of a more modern sports car that has those thinner tires, you know, you realize those thinner tires, they are designed to last a really long time. They have to be a harder tire compound. Um, so maybe in some way you could point at NASCAR and say, well, the design shouldn't have called for this. But at the same time, you don't know how maneuverable that design is at this point um, with two years under the belt of this car. And it, it's just easier to try and redo the, the compound itself. Um, you know, as far as the third thing goes, you could probably swing me on a handful of things on certain given weeks. But, um, you know, I got to be honest, I think the tire and the shifter would probably be enough to to make a significant difference. If you really want to go another one, I would say maybe there's something they could do with the diffuser. Um, and I mean like next to basically eliminate it. Um, I know they took some of the, the strakes out from underneath the car. And I think that was helpful to a minimal extent, but I do think it was helpful. Um, I don't, you know, I don't know the underwing of the car particularly well. I'm no mechanic. I've never pretended to be. Um, if there's something that NASCAR can do to, uh, redesign that particular aspect or um if i remember correctly i believe i think Corey LeJoy was talking about it on his podcast on stacking pennies about potentially or no it was kyle bush um about just completely eliminating the underwing for certain tracks um you know seeing how easy the toe links break i do have some uh confidence issues as to the mechanics of the car how well they might hold up but if it is possible to eliminate the underwing um at short tracks and at road courses where we are less prone to seeing those really you know scary devastating wrecks that aerodynamics might really severely affect um if we could eliminate that underwing i think that would probably help i can't promise anything on that because i don't know the aerodynamics very well but i would say those are probably the the three big things. Um, the only other thing I, you could really add in there is changing up the horsepower. I think adding horsepower to the the lower, the shorter tracks into the road courses um, probably help. Yeah, I think that's where I was going to go with it for you, Josh. Uh, aero piece, definitely. I I've always been of the feeling that getting the car off the ground, getting him off. Uh, not sealed to the ground as they have been basically since the twisted sister 
Gen 4 era um, when and they were messing with the bodies and all that. The sealing it off and not having any air going under is something that, to me, it's a stock car series, right? I mean, granted, in IMSA, it's sports cars. In the GT categories, they're running it more or less as far to the ground as they can because that's just the way of the world. But when you go out, when I go out to go and get into my into my Kia, the thing's got clearance off the ground, you know. But then you're actually having to drive on the road, and you have to drive, and you're not driving on billiard table smooth surfaces. Now, I mean, it's not really the case all the time in NASCAR, but um, getting the car off the ground instead of being sealed to the to the surface, the horsepower thing is just mind numbing. Um, and I don't buy anything they say about, and Kevin Harvick said it on the DJD too, in his, uh, post retire in his first retirement, uh, uh, appearance. And he said that now you're basically battling for one horsepower instead of it was going for 10 or 20 or 50 back in the heyday. Um, when it was an arms race between the likes of Roush Yates and then RCR, and Hendrick, and Gibbs, and whatever. And Gibbs had Mark Cronquist. You had RCR with Danny Lawrence and them. You had Hendrick with, um, forgetting, Randy Dorton. But then after that, they still had their presence. Um, you had all those great engine builders. I mean, the, this day and age, I don't care what they say. A, a stock Mustang and a stock Camaro make more horsepower than an actual cup car or an X, maybe less than the Xfinity car, which is why the Xfinity thing is the best package. But I think the horsepower is one thing because we've harped on it on the show. Um, there's, I, I also think that I would also go into the road course package and it's like, what are we trying to do? If we're going to have so many road races, isn't and, and they've tried to bring more short tracks into the table, are we able to go and focus on those things? Is this short track test they're going to have a Phoenix, uh, one of the most crucial tests that they've had in recent memory, uh, to go and change things and make it better? I mean, yeah, it's a lot of interesting things you can go with that. I mean, the aero side, um, you know, with this car, the one thing that was different is that why we have the diffusers because they kind of have re re you know generated the uh arrow to go underneath the car um more more than the front front side of the car so or over the top so they're still aero sensitive but they redirected it underneath more than um you know over the top because they thought that um downforce they could make it less dependent on i guess you know downforce going over over the nose and redirect it underneath and that that would help it uh, with aerosensitivity and being able to run closer together. And, um, you know, you've seen, you know, where in several races where the guy in front that was trying to be, or that was going to get past was able to just aero block and, uh, continue. And it's, you know, gotten more, gotten more sensitive. And obviously we saw that in the last race with, you know, Chastain aero blocking on several occasions with, uh, uh, Ryan Blaney there. Uh, and that's become more of a, a tactic and, recent years um and then also you know the uh 
the engine with the horsepower, I think, you know, they have to increase the horsepower. And, um, yeah, there definitely should be at least the number of horsepower that's uh, in a stock Mustang um, or Camaro or, uh, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you're trying to go with your stock Toyota or something like that, which definitely doesn't have the same amount of horsepower as a, a Ford or a Chevy. But, you know, there should definitely be um, something like that. Um, to kind of show uh, more of the talent in uh, the drivers and being able to um, have a, a big, you know, big horsepower and everything and see how, how this handles with this car. Cause um, I think, I feel like some of the shortcomings of the old car and the older generations with um, air sensitivity and uh, all that stuff, if they brought into the horsepower, um, you know, from those cars into this car, I feel like it would be uh, a lot different, but uh, it could end up being more more of the same. And then, uh, you know, with the the tires, I mean, the tires are you know, the Goodyear needs to be able to f uh, figure out how to make a good uh, lower profile tire that's actually good for um, racing overall. I mean, agree with you guys what you guys said about Phoenix and um, Martinsville having you know better tires uh, in the last two races. So we'll see if that changes next year and if. You know, they're able to bring something in, but, uh, yeah, I think, I think really the, the horsepower thing is where they really need to focus in on. Cause I feel like there's only so much that they can do, uh, with the aero package. Um, they could take off the clear portion of the spoiler and just leave the, you know, bottom portion that's solid on there. Um, and I feel like that wouldn't really change much of the arrow because there's so much going on with the diffuser and the bumper and everything that's uh, so so big that um, you know they have to redesign. They'd have to start redesigning wholesale changes of the car, and then you know that goes into more costs and all that stuff. So um, I think you know it's it's hard to really focus on that. I think the big area that they have to get uh, try that would be really easy is just to give uh, more horsepower, more uh, RPMs and eliminate, eliminate shifting. So if they, I think you, know, you might see an improvement on the, uh, short tracks and everything. If you gave more horsepower and eliminated, uh, shifting. And then, um, I mean, the other stuff, you know, you start talking about, you know, starting to redesign aspects of the car, you know, with talk about bigger brakes that this car has the wider tire, uh, that, you know, gives the in increased horsepower, increased or not increased horsepower, but increase in, you know, grip and everything that makes it easy to recover you know it's so hard to uh, uh you know spin somebody out it takes a lot to be able to do that especially on short tracks and you really have to hit them hard to be able to knock them out of the way uh so you know it's definitely something that they have to uh, look at for you know the future um and everything so i mean there's a lot of things to like about this car it races well on intermediate tracks and the, the bigger non-super speedway tracks but honestly that's about it and they still have a, a lot of work to do on the other types of tracks that you know this car races on and you know you're starting to see a shift now with uh the you know they initially try to get all the road courses in uh in this series uh to increase the number of share because this car is designed or has that design in mind and everything but now we've seen the last couple of years the road course racing hasn't been as good and now we're starting to see a shift back uh 
to you know more ovals on the schedule and i think you see that with uh the addition of iowa on the schedule and then all you know the big the big one the uh brickyard 400 going back uh onto the oval for its 30th anniversary and i think you know the racing that we saw on the uh indianapolis road course and road course racing in general i think that definitely had uh, a factor in um you know designing deciding whether to continue on the road course or you know go back onto the oval yeah, and that's where we have to look at it. I mean, you're bringing back a, a class, well, I mean, bringing back a historic race and having Indy uh, be on the oval again for the two main races that they have. Uh, they're only going to have, like, they're limiting as many uh, races. I mean, they seem to be, Roger Penske seems to be having a lot of races at his track now, um, but less on the road course itself. So that's nice. Uh, the Brickyard 400 coming back is a curiosity for sure. They're going to have to test the tire in the car to see what the best package will be um, to possibly make it a racy track, which has never really been in the stock car sense uh, outside of, I think, uh, 20, the, the year that, uh, that K- Candy Cane, I think, 17, when they had like 800 cautions and Jimmy Johnson blew up and, and wrecked and turn three going three wide and stuff that was like that's the most memorable uh finish in in recent memory um other than for the for my personal bias with tony and candy cane in 05 and then in 07 with tony and kevin and here kitty kitty um there's really nothing that's memorable so we'll see what the next gen car can do uh joe um uh we're gonna let you go you had uh your got work so ran a little longer but we appreciate you being on let us know where we can find you on the socials and where we can find your work sure so uh i mean right now you can't really find much you can find me on uh x i guess i I still call it twitter uh i have a hard time calling it x but whatever sure x if you will um you can find me on there at pacero jr p-a-s-s-e-r-o-j-r um, I have been trying to keep it a relatively chill, quiet off season for myself while I, uh, while I partially gear up for next season and some future things that I may or may not be doing, um, more life related than professional. Um, but, uh, you can find me on there. I will still be active on there. If you tweet at me, I will tweet back at you because I don't have too many followers where I can't do that. Um, and just uh, getting ready for that. I will be continuing my stage point updates next year. I will be at the Daytona 500 next year. So if anybody recognizes my face and wants to come say hi, come say hi. Um, that's where you'll be able to find me for now. And then, you know, as I uh, branch out and get my, my feet wet with a few other things along the way, hopefully, that is also where you'll first find out that uh I have been branching out. So definitely make sure to follow me on there. I'm sure I'll be back on the show sooner rather than later, hopefully. But uh, uh, that's where you'll be able to find me for now. I appreciate you guys having me on as always. It's always fun to come on and talk racing and uh, I'll uh, I'll be around. And happy Thanksgiving to you and your family, man. And uh, yeah, we will uh, uh, come back around, especially when we talk about uh, the Xfinity and the truck series here in a couple of weeks time uh, to review the season since uh we're we're doing cup today and then 
probably do Formula One uh, for the sake of me just getting it done and over with next week. And then uh, we'll go back to um, Xfinity and trucks because there's a lot to really unpack, especially on the truck side. So thanks a lot for your time, brother. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you. Happy Thanksgiving to you guys and your families. Yep. All the viewers, happy Thanksgiving, and I'll see y'all real soon. All right, Thanks. thank you. And so let's do the last topic that we're that I was thinking about and disappointments and surprises um, in terms of this season. Uh, I think disappointments. It goes into one co- comment for me. Danny Hamlin kept on talking about, "Oh, this is his year. This is his year." He ends up not being able to get to the final four again uh, and get that elusive championship. I think that's a disappointment. Now a surprise I could, you could say was 2311 in general, their performance in that they had both, both uh, Tyler Reddick in his first year at the organization winning multiple races. You had Darrell Wallace Jr., going and making the playoffs for the first time in his career and lasting multiple rounds, even though certain fans didn't want to see that. He uh, stuck it to him. Uh, Chris Buescher, obviously, uh, one of the biggest surprises of the year. Um, Michael McDowell getting that victory at uh, Indianapolis. It's not a surprise based on his career and what he's done, but the way he won at Indianapolis, as dominant as he was uh, to win uh, his second career Cup Series race. Um, That was a surprise. Um, Legacy Motor Club uh, with Eric Jones, uh, after going and winning the Southern 500, um, having pace a lot at a lot of racetracks. This year, at least until September, uh, they were one of the worst teams in the series. And then... I guess when Carson Osovar got signed up to take over for Gagson, they gave him uh, more R&D money or something changed, and then those cars started to come back around. I think that was a disappointment. I mean, there were certain races that were disappointing, some of these big ones, some of these road races. A surprise, I think, would be uh, S the debut of Shane Van Gisbergen to the world of NASCAR and his dominance at Chicago, which really, if you have seen Shane Van Gisbergen, wouldn't be surprising, but for most NASCAR fans, they never have heard of the guy, can't even pronounce his name, and he went out there and and, uh, opened a can on all these cup drivers, and they all were basically like, what the fuck? (laughs) Which was made it great. Um, So... um, Josh, what did what did you are some of those ones that you thought of as well, or were some were there some different ones in terms of disappointment? I think Truex too. We talked about it earlier. Yeah, I mean, some of it we've already highlighted and talked about, you know, earlier. But I mean, to kind of piggyback off of you there with Shane Van Gunsenberg, I mean, I I think it's not so much that um he dominated that race and won. I think winning is the surprising part actually, but um the aftermath of that, how all of a sudden you're winning. Now he's going to transition into NASCAR, uh, potentially full time. You know, he's not going in full time this year, but he's going to be making a lot of appearances in cup and truck and Xfinity this year, uh, you know, throughout, throughout the year. So 
I think that's the surprising part about about that. And then also coming back to Indy uh, on the road course there, that was, you know, we haven't really seen one-off guys come back uh, so soon uh, to try again. So I think that was interesting in just how the logistics of his team working out on uh, the supercar side to let him come over to the States and try, uh, try to make it here. But I, yeah, I was definitely surprising. Um, I think track house, you know, compared to what they did a year ago, uh, I think that was a little bit disappointing, uh, that they weren't able to build off of that quite as much. I mean, Ross Chastain did win two races this year. So you saw in parts where, uh, you know, they, they were good, but then, you know, also saw a large, uh, stretches where they were bad and Daniel Suarez uh, didn't make the playoffs uh, again this year. So, um, and he wasn't able to capitalize uh, on the opportunities that he had last year. So I think that's disappointing. Um, I think, you know, another disappointing thing, like we talked about earlier, you know, Truex definitely disappointing in the playoffs. Uh, Hendrick Motorsports, um, you know, with Chase Elliott and Alex Bowman not making it in, I think that's also, I mean, Joe already talked about it, that's disappointing, but to add on to that, I mean, uh, Alex Bowman was leading the points at one point this year at the very beginning of the year back in uh, Phoenix before they had the Louver penalties and everything. Uh, he was a, the points leader and, um, you know, a guy that, you know, had led the points at one point ends up not making it into the playoffs at all. Um, I, you know, that's definitely uh, disappointing there. Uh, so you have, and of course he had the injury and everything, but still, you know, he wasn't really a factor after uh, after that injury and everything. So, um, you know, that was disappointing. Um, I think, you know, surprising that Kevin Harvick didn't win in the final race of the year, uh, or not the final, but his final season didn't have an opportunity to win. Uh, on the other hand, disappointing that Stuart Haas can't figure it out outside of him. So now that's going to lead into, you know, things that, you know, potentially um, with Josh Berry, We'll see how he performs. Uh, I think it's surprising that uh, Kyle Busch uh, sold out to Spire all all of a sudden, how quickly that happened. And it's definitely surprising uh, because of you know, how much he's invested into KBM uh, and everything and how you know it didn't even last uh, one season after he left uh, Joe Gibbs Racing to go to RCR uh, before he uh, you know went and uh, sold it off to, uh, and took Spire's uh, uh, offer that they made. Uh, so that was definitely surprising. Um, you know, on the other hand, another surprising move, uh, uh, Justin Haley going over to Rick Ware. Uh, that's definitely a surprising move that I think a lot of people been scratching their heads uh, and and everything. So that's surprising. Uh, I think AJ Allmendinger not having a really good year outside of the Roval. Definitely, I mean, he had some few runs here here and there that were pretty good, but you know, I think him more than likely going back to Xfinity. I think that's definitely, um, you know, a, a surprise to hear after, you know, one year uh, in the Cup Series and in the, the 16 car full-time. That's definitely uh, both surprising and disappointing. So, um, um, yeah, there, and I guess, yeah, that's basically the Cup Series, I think. I'm trying to, trying to think, yeah. Um, yeah, I think, you know, Denny Hamlin, of course, that's definitely disappointing for the platform that he has you know, being able to, uh, not make it in, uh, I do, do find it surprising, you know, Bubba Wallace didn't win, uh, he had multiple opportunities. He got better overall, I think, um, 
but they just couldn't figure out a way to win. So uh, I think that was a little bit surprising. So, um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of, a lot of things that were uh, surprising this year from a negative perspective um, and everything. But, um, I mean, it was definitely an interesting year. Um, and I think, you know, I think a lot of things that we played out, I mean, I actually a positive one surprise that Ryan Blaney won the championship. I mean, like we said, we didn't think he was going to win, uh, you know, prior to the chase and everything, you know, didn't think he'd, he'd make it all the way and, you know, surprised that he, uh, somehow made it into the final four and one. So, um, we'll end on a slightly positive note, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting to see how all these things played out through the year and, um, you know, what, what the storylines ended up being. And I think, you know, some of these storylines, we'll see how they carry out into next year with, um, you know, with all the changes that we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, there was a lot to look into in terms of, and we're not that we're only a couple, what is it? Uh, two months and change away from the uh, clash. Uh, there, you know, you have a test of Phoenix coming up here next week. You're going to have probably have a test coming up uh, eventually at Indianapolis and Iowa. Those are two new two new races. So those are things you have to look at. Um, I think there's other things we have to see in terms of the, we don't know who, um, um, what do you call, colleague is going to run next year, or at least one of their cars. I think uh, the rumor mill and things have kind of put it out there. But, we, they have one of their cars open. Uh, Rick Ware has one of his cars open. Um, uh, what do you call BJ McLeod has came out and said he's going to run all the super speedways um, as an open car. And then they may run the road courses with uh, Josh Balicki, who got announced as a um, full-time driver for DGM next year in Xfinity. There's a few chain. There's a few uh, driver announcements taking place, so we'll get into all those um, as we go along. In terms of disappointments and and positives, I mean, in terms of the Cup Series itself, the fact that in theory they have 36 viable cars, um, how many of them are truly competitive every on week to week basis is a different story. But they have 36 viable cars um, is something. Um, in terms of what the, I guess you want to talk about or be t- talking about that um, charter and where things are going to be going. I think that's a story to look at here in the next few months is with the charters and with the new TV contract, how much of the pie will the owners get uh, moving forward? And if that opens up an opportunity for other owners to come into the series um, like Dale Jr., uh, will teams be able to expand, you know, Denny Hamlin, will Brad Keselowski, et cetera, et cetera? Um, or are they going to have to piggyback off of some of these teams that are around right now? Um, I think that we're going to go and call it here. Or, you know, we'll finish with football here. Um, we'll finish with football. Uh, for me, the 49ers, um, uh, yeah, we'll finish with football. We'll also do the roundup or not the roundup, but we'll do your sim segment and we'll just cut it off that way. Um, in terms of the Niners for, for me, um, they dominated against Tampa Bay. It's no real surprise. Um, the fact that Brock Purdy had a perfect passer rating 
and uh, seemed to kind of have do whatever he needed to do. Uh, as a good sign. Uh, it was cool to see people that want to question his ability and say he's a system quarterback. It's, be a, he can be a system quarterback. You know what? Every quarterback at the end of the day is a system quarterback, unless you're going to say Tom Brady and and Peyton Manning. Um, you know, everybody has a system. Uh, the Jim Kelly had the K-Gun. You know, that was his system. Uh, you had John Elway and Dan Marino. They dictated their system. Um, Brock Purdy is in unison with Kyle Shanahan with the way this offense is run. You have uh, Christian McCaffrey is one of the best players in the league. You have the best offensive tackle in the league in Trent Williams. You have Brandon Ayuk who's um, becoming one of the best wide receivers in the NFL and Debo who's just a freak and can do whatever. Um, so you have a dynamic offense on the heels of the fact that Philadelphia was able to go to Kansas City and win um, in a close contest. Philadelphia is in just now. They didn't get. They didn't win the game in February when it counted, really. Uh, but it's still a bit of revenge if they were able to have a rematch, uh, possibly in Las Vegas in a few months' time. It'll be something to see, but um, the Niners are behind Philly. They're going to have to do work and hope for some help, which Philly I don't think is going to be giving them. Uh, but they will play Philly in a couple of weeks' time, so that'll be an interesting contest. Uh, losing Talanoa Hufanga for the season is tough, uh, but you know Jair Brown, they drafted him in the early rounds. Uh, they... They are expecting him to be a big time player, and he came in yesterday and was able and held his own. Uh, secondary starting to look a little better. The Chase Young Nick Bosa defensive end combo is uh, allowing for more uh, more sack opportunities. It's allowing Eric Armstead to feast. It's uh, got Fred Warner back to normal in terms of his tackling. Um, they just were comprehensively the better team. They they were able to uh, manipulate the the Tampa Bay lost both their corners, so it made it very difficult for them to really be able to do anything. Um, and when it comes to other injuries, I went on. So I mean, credit to them, uh, big uh, victory. Now they're going to have a short week. They'll be going to Seattle on Thursday night for the nightcap of the Thanksgiving Day triple header. Uh, trying to go and um, get a two-game lead in the NFC West uh, after Seattle lost, uh, missed a field goal, lost to the LA Rams. So if they can get that two-game lead, it might be all she wrote. Um, looking at the rest of the season, um, Seattle's a tough team, but two-game lead with this with this team, the Niners team, I think would be something. Um, it would be very difficult for anybody to overtake them. Uh, for you, Josh, uh, the Jags were had a comprehensive uh, response to their performance last week against the Niners. They came back out at home and uh, said, no, <laughs> that's not what we're going to be, and uh, reinserted themselves as one of those teams that are going to be uh, an AFC uh, contender come January. Yeah, I mean, the Jags went out and dominated the Titans throughout the game. Uh, I mean, it was just a, you know, 
question of the defensive line and offensive line being able to affect uh you know each team and uh the offensive line protected well trevor had time so and zay jones also came back into the fold this week so that opened up uh, opportunities for calvin ridley down the field and we saw him with uh, two touchdowns and over 100 yards uh, for the first time since uh uh a while since the buffalo game back in the you know, beginning of october and um for uh trevor you know his best game in the last couple of weeks uh where you know he looked looked like a a good quarterback again uh so uh, it was just a matter of them being able to execute but then also i think um they got key guys back and they were able to take advantage of some of the opportunities that that allows them to have uh there and then defensively you know they uh defensive line was able to just put pressure on will levis the whole day uh for most of it you know we saw him fumble um saw him almost throw a couple of interceptions that should have been interceptions. Um, he had two touchdowns, but it was more, more or less garbage time touchdowns. Uh, so, you know, he, even the stats might say, yeah, it looked like he had a good game, but he didn't really have that good of a game, uh, overall. So, um, you know, he had all of that. Um, I think the Jaguars probably played their most complete game of the season, I'd say from, uh, that game, but then I was also expected going against the three and six Tennessee Titans on a rookie quarterback and um, lots of uh, problems uh, with injuries and stuff. And Derrick Henry not as uh, effective as he has been in the past against the Jaguars. So uh, I was, you know, kind of expected there 34 to uh, uh, 14 win. Uh, so big win there. Um, but now, you know, the question is uh, they've got a big game, possibly the biggest game of the season here uh, against the Houston Texans uh, post Thanksgiving. So we'll see if, uh, and it's a away game also. So we'll see how uh, they're able to um, go out and uh, play against them. Hopefully they come out uh, with the win. So um, if they win, uh, they have a, I think, 97% chance of getting a home wild card game if uh, they win this game. So uh, there's a lot on the line here. Uh, but, you know, if, if they win, they more than likely will probably have the division because uh, then the only division game they have left after that is against uh, the uh, tech, Titans uh, in week 18. So um, that's uh, important. But, you know, this one here coming up uh, in Houston is going to be definitely probably the most important game, and especially C.J. Stroud really hot as a rookie right now uh and what he's been able to do uh, a lot of debate if he's outplaying trevor lawrence and everything but honestly like trevor lawrence is trevor lawrence and cj stroud is cj stroud so um i think uh it's gonna be an interesting game for sure yeah and as, when you talk about cj stroud and trevor lawrence i think it's going to be a battle between those two guys and their two teams uh here for the next few years uh within this division uh, two of the better young quarterbacks in this league too. So um, it wouldn't hurt to have for the South divisions to have some sort of a rivalry. Uh, so if it is uh, Jacksonville and Houston, if it is Lawrence versus Stroud, I think that'll be something that'd be pretty cool. Um, two guys who are in the top of the draft here over the last few years would be uh, good to see um, Doug Peterson being a Super Bowl winning head coach and, Dabinko Ryans, who's looking at possibly being the NFL Coach of the Year uh, in his in his first season, um, coming out of the Kyle Shanahan coaching tree. So something to see with that. 
we had Roundup and in terms of what we we're thankful for, probably going to save that uh, some of that information for next week because we'll have the Formula One uh, review. Uh, we will um, talk about thankful what we we're thankful for uh, in motorsports as well in the next step in episode 197 um previewing abu dhabi let's we can uh I'll go and say that um fish lips will win uh you pick first so i'll go with f1 abu dhabi gp phil fish lips to win um i'm gonna say uh i'm gonna say um signs second and lewis third uh what about your podium for uh abu dhabi yeah uh verstappen in first obviously uh second i'm gonna go with uh leclerc and third uh i'll go with uh sergio perez so repeat of what we had here at uh vegas yeah so checo third Probably more likely than not, I think that would be uh, a likely podium. But who knows, McLaren will be back if it'll be a good track for them. They You can count out Lando Norris or uh, Oscar Piastri, George Russell um, for Mercedes too. All those guys uh, are in play here in the final race of the season. We've got to look at some of the constructors' battles, uh, some of the drivers' championship battles as well. Um, going into the final race of the season. We'll get into those more uh, next week. Uh, Josh, what uh, what's going on in the world of uh, iRacing and gaming? More announcements in regards to IndyCar and their uh, termination with motorsport games, but the saga that is the IndyCar having a game um, and trying to make one. Yeah, I mean that's been playing out. We've you know now seen that they've you know terminated the contract uh, with Motorsport Games for making an exclusive IndyCar game. So you know we'll see we'll see what iRacing decides to do if they're able to come to terms with a deal or a licensing agreement or something to get IndyCar back officially licensed as a series uh, in iRacing. We'll see. Um, but I mean otherwise, you know it's. Um, there's been updates that are coming out. Um, I think the most notable update, I mean, we talked about it last week, but they have since released a video iRacing has of uh, their updates coming up. Uh, most notable, the rain update that should be coming up soon in the next few months. R- racing in the rain, it looks looks very accurate from what I can tell. So it should be interesting to see how the track dynamics uh, play out and how, that, how it feels uh, in the sim. Uh, and, you know they've taken a lot of detail to make sure that when the tires interact with the road just like how you would have the tires interact in the road when you're racing in the rain or you know just driving in the rain in general so um you know looking forward to seeing uh that update come out and how intense uh, on the graphics side and the processor side is that going to be because that's a entirely uh, new element that's coming into the game so you know looking forward to seeing like that uh what that holds uh there um you know otherwise you know standard stuff this week on iRacing um of course you know the all different you know opportunities to go racing um you know Formula Ford's racing at Lime Rock Park um 87's at uh old Phoenix Raceway before the repave um um 
Arkham, yeah, Arca cars at North Wilkesboro, um, MX5 Cup at Landmark Park. Um, you've got the Delara IR series at Gateway this week. Uh, IndyCar, so the actual IndyCar at uh, New Hampshire uh, this week. Uh, Gen 4 at Old Pocono in 2009. Uh, you got uh, Xfinity, Xfinity at uh, Atlanta Motor Speedway, it looks like this week. Um, the iRacing uh, Winter Tour for uh, the fixed fixed iRacing Winter Tour uh, at Darlington this week for the 87 car uh, and everything. So, um, and I think, yeah, this week, um, the last couple of weeks, iRacing has their annual Black Friday sales. So, uh, that's a good opportunity to go either buy a new subscription as a new player to the game and get a year uh, off at, I think, like 25% or something like that. And then, uh, you know, reoccurring users um, get a discount as well. So I don't have the numbers in, uh, on me, but um, I probably, I'll probably just re-up there so or buy something like that so I can stop using the three-month one and, you know, save a little, little bit of cash there uh, and just, you know, have that one-time payment. So... Yeah, uh, yeah, that's all I got for sim racing this week. Um, you know, I don't know how much I'm going to be sim racing this week. Obviously, family time <clears throat> and all of that. So, um, not sure how much time Thanksgiving, Black Friday, and all that stuff. Hanging out with family and friends. I don't know how much time I'll have for racing. Um, I am considering, I guess, this week because I have it on my laptop. Maybe playing off of my laptop, but it's not the same. So, um, we'll see how that goes. Uh, but um, you know, as always, you know, the streams at Twitch. TV slash you sailor two and uh the uh you know Twitter X whatever account JP Hellfine and then uh our YouTube page where we upload the show uh Grip Street Podcast so go on there and uh, watch our streams and uh all our videos and everything and interact and everything and you hopefully get this one with Joe out soon so uh you know everybody can see it and Joe can uh hand it out to all his people so and any anyone that you know he wants to market it to so uh, we'll have that out hopefully soon. So, um, yeah, that's all I got. Of course, uh, always glad to be on here with you and, you know, glad we had Joe on the show this week. Uh, I think you're still muted. Yeah, my bad. Of course, you'd think I'd know that after nearly 200 episodes. Um, but yeah, and, uh, I mean, wouldn't do it without you. Wouldn't do it uh, any other way. I mean, we, uh, end up talking about all different topics. I get to rant and rave and be a lunatic, but then, we bring calmness and responsibility uh, on your end and also with Joe uh, bringing the knowledge and understanding of the sport. So it's always great when we all are able to do this. Um, so I'll go and say um, before you get me get on um, happy uh, again, happy Thanksgiving to you and yours um, for the listeners and um looking forward to that for me of course with my family um being able to go and have thanksgiving it's always great to be around family and um, be great and have be grateful for having these um times and having these things being able to have um food and being able to be around family um that's also something that's the uh, when you look at the way things are you can go and there are a lot things could be a lot worse um so it's something we can bring up um and so that uh we'll look at in terms of 
positivity and positive things we'll be back next week for episode 197 talking about formula one mostly getting a roundup stuff talk about the nfl um and um we'll go and do all that um you can find me at pg matthew 28 on twitter x you can find um the show the gripster podcast basically anywhere you hear podcasts uh it'll be philipgmatthew.com uh you can find it there uh you can find me at philipgmatthew28 on instagram too so um yeah if you want to do all that follow me great follow and like subscribe to the show and we'll be back next week for episode 197 of gripster podcast so for um joe and for josh i'm phil see you next time